Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is Todd Dandruff with Tellus, and today's episode is being broadcast live on April 8th, a Wednesday, at approximately 6.35 p.m. Welcome back. We have been gone since March 22nd, and hopefully this show will be returning to a weekly schedule starting this week. I can't see a reason why we won't. It uh, won't be Tuesday again next week, but the week after that, we should be back to Tuesday for the foreseeable future, at least till the World Series starts. So I, I hope we get some live listeners tonight with the off schedule and the fact that we've been gone for a while. But uh, if we don't, it'll be easier to win the free roll because we have a free roll tonight. We haven't had one of those in a while either because I suspended them while we were doing our Sunday broadcast since we just didn't have... Enough live listeners to where I felt it was a good expenditure of our free roll, free roll money, even though one of our listeners, Belly Buster, who runs the No Fraud Online Poker Room, was generous enough to run his own $100 free roll. So that was very nice. This week, we have a free roll of $77.50, which I will tell you about in a bit. So, good deal to talk about, as we usually have when we are gone for a week or more. And this week we're going to have a co-host who's a longtime listener to the show who I admit that I do not know. Someone I know very little about. He was texting me. He expressed a desire to co-host the show. I've never talked to him before. I have never seen any posts of his on the forum. For all I know, this could be a troll job. So we're going to try to put him on right now before we even begin. We're going to meet our co-host. When I say we, I really mean we. You are going to meet him at the same time I am, because I, I really have no idea who this is. Uh, welcome, co-host, uh, to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. How's it going, Todd? Hi. So you told me your name is Grant. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And uh, and what state are you from? Uh, California. Okay. And from your area code, I saw you're from uh, Northern California. Is that true? That's correct. All right. So... Uh, as I said, I know nothing about you. You said you wanted to co-host. I told you last time that Daredevil was going to co-host, so we couldn't have you on. But uh, you texted me again that you had interest in this show, and I, I put you on. Here you are. So uh, I take many chances on this show. I This is a revolving door of co-hosts we have here. And I'm willing to give almost anyone a shot to do it since there's no permanent co-host. We have a permanent guest co-host, but not a permanent co-host. So welcome, and uh, we will see how it goes tonight. At least we had no issues connecting on Skype, and you sound good, so we're off to a good start. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I heard you mention that on a previous show, so I thought I'd take you up on this offer. I usually have a prior obligation on Tuesday night, so I figured it was a good chance to get in on, on one of these off nights and help you out with the show. I've been a listener since the very beginning, so I've you know never really participated much, but I thought this would be a good chance to hop on with you. Yeah, that's good. And it's a good point you raise. There's a number of people who are actually happy when the show broadcasts live on Wednesday or Thursday or some other time because they can't make it on Tuesday for whatever reason. And uh, then on a day like this, they can and they can listen live. And it's a different experience to listen live than it is to listen in the archives. But uh, if you are listening live, you want to go into the chat room. You need a flash-enabled device if you're listening on like an iPhone or iPad and you're out of luck. But you need a flash-enabled device. Go in the chat room. All you need is a you have a you need to have an account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum to get into the chat room, and you can chat with the other listeners who are listening live to the show. 
I will read it occasionally, though it's hard for me to do that and the show at the same time. There's some other ways to get a hold of me during the show. There's the text phone number, which is 775-372-8355. 775-FRAUD55 is that number. There's also the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain near Las Vegas where I have an old 70s rotary phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston. I've posted pictures of myself going to visit it before. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. You need to show your caller ID no matter which number you're calling. If you get a busy signal, that means that you're not showing your caller ID. If I don't answer, it just means we're busy with something else. Try back in 15 minutes or so if I don't answer the phone. I already mentioned the chat room. You can also text me during the show at the main show phone number, 775-372-8355. Unless you ask me not to read your text on the air, I will. And I'll mention your area code as well, unless, again, you ask me not to. We just got a text here from the 410 area code. Had a huge issue this week with WSOP.com. Can I call in at 8 p.m.? Actually, this person said 11 p.m. Eastern, but this is not an Eastern show, so I'm not going to say 11 p.m. Eastern. You may be in the East, but we're not in the East, and that confuses me. So just tell me 8 p.m. Do the math yourself and subtract three. So, yes, you can call in at 8 p.m. and tell me about your issue with WSOP.com, and that doesn't surprise me that there are issues. They have a lot of customer service problems over there. I don't think they're intentionally cheating people or anything there. I just think that they have a lot of customer service problems. So this is the text from our co-host. You can call me whenever it's convenient for you. I'm all set up and ready to go whenever the show starts. Did you want to sound, do a sound check ahead of time and break the habit of producing the show during the show? Well, I guess too late for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately, we didn't have to really produce. I, I actually tried to do it, and you weren't around. I, I tried to add you on Skype, and I waited for, I don't know, five minutes, and I said, ah, he's off doing something else. So I will... Oh, really? I accepted it, but... No, oh. okay. Didn't go through immediately. That's fine. You sound good. We had nothing... Nothing to adjust, yeah. thankfully. So, so actually, speaking of uh, blocked phone numbers and that, I actually have a, a funny story that I thought you might appreciate because yeah. you're kind of into the, the phone world and you know the phone hacking and the whole prank call type thing. Yes. I don't know. Do you uh, do you remember when Star sixty nine first came out? Oh yeah, I remember that very well. So I was in elementary school at the time, and we actually had a group of people come around to various classrooms and do seminars on Star 69 and hand out pamphlets about, about prank calls and how to avoid them and, like, the seriousness of prank calls and how you, you could discourage people but wait, because what, of Star 69. Oh, okay. So they're saying if you get prank called, you can call return them. For those of you that don't know, Star 69, it's not really used much anymore, but uh, in the days of landlines when hardly anyone had cell phones, uh, if you got a call – and this is – like the 90s this happened. In the 80s, you couldn't do this. But you got a call in the 90s that was a prank call or just a call you missed in some way. You could pick up the phone, dial star 69, and sometimes, depending upon where the call was coming from, it would call the person back. Now, you wouldn't have their phone number, but their phone would ring. Yeah, so we actually had a group of people come around to our classrooms and hand out flyers and, like, do demonstrations on this and, to, like, explain to us, like, prank callers beware, you know, like, you're, you know, this is going to, this is going to, this new technology is going to thwart prank calling, you know, the serious issue that it is. Yeah, as soon as this Star 69 came out, I found a way 
to prevent myself from being star 69 because uh, basically it could only return the call. Well, initially it could only return the call if the person was calling from what's known as the same central office, which means the same telephone company office, which is basically if the call's out of your neighborhood, then you can't return it. Uh, eventually they improved it to where you could return a wider area, but still as long as you made the call through some sort of alternative company than your local phone company, as long as it was completed in a different way, uh, they, the person could not call return you. So, uh, so I would do this to people when I didn't want to be called return or I wanted to prank someone I'd call and they'd be so frustrated. They're like, yeah, I'm going to star 69 you. And I'm going to keep calling you. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Give it a I try. Wish I, I had had that little trick back in the day. Cause I remember like, you know, goofing around with friends, prank calling people. And then like what they would call back and we'd like furiously be answering the phone and hanging it up before our parents answered the phone, you know, <laughs> to find out what the ruse was. I'll, I'll tell you what I did but. one time. I, I once had someone pranking me. And I said, you know, I can start 69 you. He's like, yeah, okay, go ahead and try it. Yeah, I don't care. You, you won't get my number. So if you want to call me back, go ahead. And I said, all right. So I turned on my computer. I wrote a little program to star 69 every 20 seconds <laughs> and just put it on and went to sleep. And the thing hit the guy with like you know, thousands and thousands of consecutive calls with just star 69. I didn't have his number, but it hit him with like thousands of them over the next 10 hours or so. And that's the worst thing because you say, okay, we just take the phone off the hook. Well, no, because when someone's pranking you manually, uh, you know you can take the phone off the hook and a human being will get tired of calling over and over and getting a busy signal. But a computer does not get tired. So it's, it's so demoralizing when you're getting <laughs> called like this and you go, okay, I'm going to take the phone off the hook. You put it back on three hours later. You're like, okay, it's got to stop by now. Ring. Like, <laughs> there's just no way to stop it. It's just relentless. And you know it's a machine that just doesn't care. So, that would be pretty frustrating. Yes, and you can't even use your phone. Like people can't call you because the phone's ringing constantly, so it's always showing up busy to anyone else. It's a, it's like the worst. So uh, so this guy was begging for mercy after after the uh, uh, ten hours of this. This this is I'd say about twenty years ago. I pulled this one. So anyway, see, I knew you'd remember that. You know the days with landlines and stuff. So I thought you might appreciate this little anecdote because a lot of people these days they're like star sixty nine, you know, cell phone caller ID. But you know back then they actually thought it was such a big deal that they had people come to our school to give presenta- wow. anti-prank calling presentations. I, I couldn't believe it that that was how they were spending their time and resources, but <laughs> so that, that's where it was. So they're actually trying to uh, deter prank calling by scaring them with Star 69. Yeah, by scaring the kids with yes. this new found technology. There was actually a Beavis and Butthead episode about Star 69 that was actually kind of funny. Where, where they, they were pranking some guy and flushing the toilet and then uh, – uh, and then the guy star sixty nine them back and pretended they won a contest, and then Beavis and Butthead uh, they they actually gave out uh, I think they gave out Stewart's address next door, and then they you know the guy ended up beating up Stewart's father, something like <laughs> that. It was a funny episode. So anyway, little uh, sidetrack there as we always do on this show. Uh, we have a free roll tonight, seventy seven dollars and fifty fifty cents, seventy seven fifty. This came from four people. The Donated money. Blubbernuffle gave $10. Smith BK gave $16. Nunbeater gave $33.50. And SMI Florida, who donates frequently, gave $18. Thank you to all of you. The prize pool is distributed as follows. First place, $37.50. Second place, $20. Third place, $12. Fourth place, $8. Takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room at 7.40 Pacific Daylight Time. That is No Limit Hold'em you will be playing on there. And you find the No Fraud Online Poker Room near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. Uh, keep in mind the 
address of the poker room itself has changed. In fact, I think I no, I did change it. Good. It's a the address has changed. It's now nofraud.pokerfraudalert.com colon eight oh eight seven. And if that's too hard, just go to the poker the no fraud online poker tab near the top of the screen and just click through. You'll get to the right place. But I ch- I changed that because it's no longer on its own domain. It's on like a subdomain of poker fraud alert, and it has 25 minutes of late registration. I mean, you can register up till 8.05 p.m. Pacific. You have to have a forum account. You need a separate account on the poker room. It's free, but you need a separate account. And you don't need any chips to enter. But you need a forum account dated 2013 or 2012 if you want to qualify for the free money. 2013 or 2012, your forum account has to be dated to qualify for the free money unless you email me at dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks by telling me things that you heard that are not in the show description. For example, on this show, you would be telling me that you heard us talking about Star 69. I'm not going to put that in the show description. So things like that. Convince me you've been listening, and I will give you a lifetime of access to win the free money provided you remain in good standing on this site, which almost everybody is. So make sure to do that before the free roll starts if you want to qualify for the free money, unless you have an account on the forum registered 2013 or 2012, or if you've already been approved by me in the past. Here is the agenda for this evening. Well, who remembers, I'm sure most of you remember, when the EPT Barcelona, which is the European Poker Tour, it's put on by Poker Stars, that uh, the Barcelona version had a big scandal where it appears that insiders at the hotel, at the Barcelona Arts Hotel, were breaking into rooms, stealing laptops, putting Trojan programs on the laptops, keyloggers on the laptops, basically to steal from people later who were playing on Poker Stars. They targeted poker players and. When players caught this and complained to hotel security, it was very clear that security was trying to cover up or was actually in on doing it. I think the latter. But the most outrageous part was that Poker Stars refused to do anything about it. And in fact, Poker Stars came right back the next year, and the whole thing they did about it was distribute some laughable pamphlet on how to uh, better secure your computer. But they did nothing as far as putting pressure on the arts to not have this happen again, they tried to cover up the situation. They tried to tell the victims to just go home and they'll take care of it, and then they took care of nothing. They handled it terribly. It was a big black eye on Poker Stars, and it really woke a lot of people up that Poker Stars, even though they run a very good online site, even though they have great software, even though they have great customer support, that they are very selfish. They're out for themselves, and they're very happy to screw you over if it means, if it's between. Screwing you over and harming their own reputation, they will screw you over every single time. They're out for themselves. They're not the good guys. They're not the white knights of poker. They are a business looking to profit, and they will watch you get screwed and not care even if it's at their own tournament. They'd rather just sweep it under the rug and uh, have the belief by the public that these things don't happen. They try to just – they they don't – for example, they would not want to say, hey, we're not coming back to the arts in Barcelona next year unless you guys make it right for the guy this happened to. And if you fire these security guys and if you you know give us the truth about what happened, they didn't threaten that. They said, okay, arts, we're coming right back next year. We don't care. 
That's an old story, though. I'm not going to talk about that very much tonight. It's, it's an old story. It happened, uh, I think, last year. Or late 13. I forget the exact date it happened. Well, we have had another situation. Not at the Barcelona Arts. It happened in Malta, where money was apparently stolen from a hotel room at the EPT. Yep. And poker stars, did they handle it well? Did they put pressure on this Hilton in Malta? Of course not. We'll talk about what happened there and why you really just can't trust poker stars to ever do the right thing at any kind of live event they hold, even one of their own. They've had all kinds of problems at every live event they hold. Not every single one, but there's been a lot of problems at their live events. And afterwards, they handle it very poorly. Afterwards, they always try to cover it up. So we're going to talk about what happened there. Carbon Poker, also known as the Merge Network, they have a pretty good reputation as far as U.S.-facing online poker rooms go. They are one of the two biggest networks for U.S. players right now. The other, of course, being Bovada slash Bodog. Carbon Poker has always paid people. No one has ever been cheated on Carbon. Carbon has had Varying payout times, never like terribly slow, sometimes moderately slow, but never terribly slow. Carbon Poker generally is well-liked by online poker players in the U.S. who want to keep playing online poker and don't have an option to play legally yet or don't like the sites that they have the option to play. Unfortunately, Carbon might be having cash-out issues. They might be turning into another lock poker. Not sure yet, but it's starting to look a little bit worrisome. We will talk about what's happening at Carbon Poker. Well, David, a.k.a. Devilfish Oliot, has passed away at the age of 61. He is no longer with us. And there are so many posts all over social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on 2 Plus 2, about wonderful memories of Devilfish, how entertaining he was at the table, how fun he was to watch on TV, uh, funny stories about blunt and outrageous things he said, uh, fun stories about hanging out with him. You know, Todd, I, I think when we get to that subject, I think I have a theory of why that might be. Okay, yeah, we'll talk about that. So there's there's a lot of there's an outpouring of positivity about Mr. Oliot, who recently passed away. And you may say, okay, well, that's nice. The guy passed away. You know, what are you going to do? Uh, try to find every fault he had and bash him after he's gone? That's not good for him. I, I agree. In most cases, that's true. For example, when uh, Chad Brown died, not that I have anything bad to say about Chad Brown, but if I did, um, unless it was something that was pretty bad, I probably wouldn't have said it. I don't have anything bad to say about Chad Brown, but you know, let's say one time Chad Brown was rude to me at the table. And again, he wasn't, but if he was, I, I wouldn't have come out and said, oh, Chad Brown, I don't feel bad for him. He was kind of rude to me once at the table. I, I probably would have kept my mouth shut about it because the guy just died. and you know, Being rude once at the table doesn't uh, warrant being bashed after you pass away. Uh, but at the same time, when somebody passes away who has a long history of being a bad person, uh, I, I don't think it's right to come out and uh, eulogize them as if they're wonderful. I mean, if you're his friend or relative, fine, but if you're just someone on the outside, um, you shouldn't be ashamed to come out and say, hey, this person did some bad things. For example, when Russ Hamilton dies, I, I don't think we're going to have a lot of people coming out and saying, oh, what a great guy, oh, wow, what a good poker player. 
I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see a lot of people saying, oh, good, he's dead. What a scumbag, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what he deserves. Now, Devilfish is not Russ Hamilton. He's no Russ Hamilton. I, I don't view him in the same way I view Russ Hamilton. But Devilfish, David Devilfish Oliot, in my opinion, is not, or shall I say was not, at all a good person. And I'm going to say it. I'm not going to be one of these people saying, oh, it's too bad. Oh, he was so good for poker. Oh, wow, he was so fun to watch. No, I'm not going to say that. I personally watched David Devilfish Oliot do some pretty bad things. And I've read about things that he has done in the past that are not just rumors. These are things that he has admitted to doing. So I don't think that this is someone who should be remembered fondly or whose life should be rejoiced. I I think... um, if you're going to post about him, you got to say the good and the bad. And so we'll talk about the good and the bad on this show. I'm not going to be afraid to tell the truth about David De- Devilfish Elliott from what I observed and heard. Well, speaking of cheaters, and I'm not saying Devilfish was a cheater because as far as I know, he wasn't, but uh, Russ Hamilton was. But speaking of cheaters, this is someone who won't be remembered fondly at all, uh, Christian Lusardi who is still alive, uh, is going to be in prison for a while. He was sentenced to five years in prison and given a fine for both his Borgata chip cheating, where he snuck in counterfeit chips into the Borgata and then stupidly flushed them down the toilet in Harris. Uh, This guy has been sentenced to five years and a substantial fine of... One million dollars. Plus... Another 100000 $1.1 million fine for Chris Lusardi. And we will talk about this sentence and uh, whether it's appropriate, whether it's fitting, and a very weird thing regarding the statement made by the feds regarding this sentence and, it's, uh, and what he did with the poker. Very weird. We'll talk about uh, that when we come to it. Barry Shulman is the owner of Card Player Magazine, and uh, Jeff Shulman, his son runs it along with him. Barry is married to Alan Jaffrey Shulman, who's another poker player, and you know she's an older woman, he's an older guy, and they've uh, been married for a while. I knew they had a good deal of money. They made a lot of it through card player. I don't know how much of it, but uh, I don't know if he had other business interests. But I really got mad at card player during the lock poker scandal, so much that I took off the card player news feed on the Poker Fraud Alert forums. Because he was running lock ads when it was very clear that they were cheating people. Basically, any card player reader that deposited into lock poker immediately lost their money upon deposit, whether they won or lost on the site, because there's no way to withdraw. But the card player knew about this, and they ran the ads for at least nine months after they were made fully aware of what was going on, and probably longer. I, I can only talk about when I fully made them aware, personally. But uh, Barry has listed a very gaudy-looking Vegas condo he owns for $4.9 million, and he put a lot more into the condo than that. He spent $7 million decorating it alone. So we'll talk about that, and I'll talk about why this really gets me angry. Well, the World Series of Poker is something that most poker players, especially professional poker players, find near and dear to their heart. Despite all the trash talk that uh, occurs on this show about Caesars, and they deserve it, by the way, but uh, 
And despite the fact that uh, a lot of people look skeptically skeptically upon the way Caesars runs things, uh, people enjoy the World Series. It's poker tradition, or at least modern tradition, dating back to 1970. It's the biggest poker tournament in the world, as far as live tournaments go. It attracts the best players from everywhere. Winning a World Series of Poker bracelet is a special thing for most poker players, even ones that don't normally play tournaments very often, such as myself. Most players look at the World Series as something that's an exciting time every year. And it's every poker player's nightmare, or at least most poker players' nightmares, to be banned forever from the World Series, to where you just can't come and play, where you're not allowed to play the World Series. A pro poker player from Maryland has been banned from the World Series, not for any kind of poker cheating, not for any kind of disorderly conduct, but for card counting at Blackjack. And when I heard about this, I was like, wow, that's not very nice. I, I can see how it happens, but uh, you know, that's, that's kind of crappy. They should have just kicked him out and said, stop playing Blackjack, and, uh, and that's that. They shouldn't. That's kind of harsh, in my opinion, when I first heard of this story, to be banning people from the World Series just because someone's card, counting cards at Blackjack, which is not cheating. It's, it's a, against the casino rules, but it's not cheating. It's using your mind to give yourself an edge in a game against the casino. I, I totally support banning cheaters from the World Series, including ones caught cheating at other live tournaments, but card counters, of course not, don't ban them from the World Series. But then I read this guy's own story that he posted on 2 Plus 2. He posted a story in his own words and a video of himself explaining in his own words what happened, and all of a sudden, instead of thinking better of him, I thought worse of him. There's actually more to the story, and believe it or not, I fully understand why the World Series banned him. We'll talk about that. But by the way, what's going on in the background? It sounds like you're rolling dice or something. Me? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not doing anything in the background. Really? I heard like, like I heard like something shaking or like are you shaking salt? Are you maybe eating some eggs and shaking some salt on them? Oh, well, it may have been the ice cubes in my drink. Oh. I'll 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 chill out with that. Okay, I hope you're not getting drunk here. No, I'm not pulling a Marty. I just got okay. a glass That's of water. That's what I was going to say. We, <laughs> we had a bad experience here before, as you've mentioned. So, yeah. Well, Harry Reid, he will basically do whatever anyone tells him to do if they bribe him. This has been known for many years. It's amazing he has not ended up in prison for this, but uh, he's been protected by various powers that be. Harry Reid took a million-dollar bribe from all accounts, uh, from Full Tilt Poker back in the day to change his mind about legalization of online poker. And people say, oh, who cares? What's the big deal? As long as it gets done, who cares? He was on our side. Who cares if it took bribery to do it? Well, you should care because now it appears Harry Reid has been bribed the other way or some something has been incentivized for him to completely do a 180 and now... Harry Reid is saying that before he leaves office, he's not going to run for re-election, thankfully, but before he leaves office in 2016, he wants online poker to be banned completely in the United States. That's what's the problem when you have politicians who will accept bribes and do whatever the person with the money wants them to do. So it's now backfired. Let's talk a bit about that. Imagine if you're at a casino buffet and you're just minding your own business. You're just trying to find food that looks like it might taste all right. I, I'm not a big fan of buffets. 
I, I think that the food always looks much better than it tastes. Like you, you, you walk through the buffet and so many things look so good, and then they put it on your plate and you taste it, and the food has like no taste. Have you experienced looks that good, before? Looks good from afar, but far from good. Yeah, <laughs> even looks good up close. Like I, I, I get get food on my plate and I go, wow, I can't wait to eat this. Even forgetting about my experience at countless other buffets, and then I sink my teeth into it and go, what? That's not what I expected to taste. It's it's not like it's putrid. It just has no taste. So anyway, imagine you're just concerning yourself with that. Imagine you're just thinking about the buffet itself and what food you want and whether you want to go to that prime rib station and how much it's going to really taste like prime rib. And that's what's on your mind. And then out of the blue, at the buffet, you hear this. Yep, that's a gunshot. A guy shot himself dead at the M Resort Buffet in Las Vegas. The M Resort is very far south in Las Vegas. It's not on the Strip at all. If you if you get on the 15 and drive south towards Los Angeles, uh, I, I'd say about maybe 10 miles off the Strip, you'll hit the M Resort. That's mainly aimed at locals. But a lonely and obviously very disturbed man decided not just to kill himself, but to kill himself at the M Buffet. You might think that's a funny place to kill yourself. Well, no. The M Buffet is actually what caused him to want to kill himself. Have you ever heard of this where someone kills themselves because of a buffet? I think Never. this is the first time <laughs> in history that has happened. But this, this did happen. He killed himself because of a buffet. We'll explain what occurred in the second to last segment. The last segment will be an editorial about casinos and if they are ever your friend or if they might even be your enemy. That's the agenda tonight. If this were a half an hour show, I'd be signing off now and saying goodnight. We've talked about what we're going to talk about, and now we've talked about nothing goodnight. But fortunately, it is not a half hour program. We'll get going with our main stuff. Let me check the chat room here before we get going. Let's just stall some, some more time here. Desert Explorer says, I don't go to a lot of casino buffets, but when I do, the food is usually pretty good. Hmm. I'd like to know which buffets you go to. I'll give credit to the Bacchanal Buffet in Caesars. It's very expensive, but that's the best one I've had. But it's still a buffet. It's still not as good as like decent restaurant food. But as far as buffets go, that was the best one. Uh, Jstat saying he took the Poker Pro's side and blasted Mitch Garber, the head of the World Series, at, uh, on YouTube for the WSOP banning. I don't think he deserves to be blasted. And Jay Stats saying, Druff sides with the WSOP against the card counter to gain his media credential and the free food. But I, I do like my media credential and the free food. I'll admit that. I was very happy last year to find that my media credential got me $10 a day in free food. <laughs> Not only that, uh, I was so mad when I, I shouldn't say mad, I was so frustrated when I couldn't get my free food one day because I couldn't find the guy that distributes it. Because they, they only let one guy distribute the $10 vouchers and he just wasn't around. I wasn't mad at him. He had other duties. It just was, it was frustrating because I expected to get my $10 of free food and the guy just wasn't there. So I'm like walking around with my head down and, and KevMath sees me. And uh, he asked me what's wrong and, and I tell him the truth. And he's like, oh, okay, well, here's a, here's a $10 voucher. I'm like, oh, no, no, KevMath, I don't want to take your vouchers. He's like, no, 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 take it. Uh, you know. So KevMath gave me the voucher 
as an act of contrition. I mentioned this before because I had complained on the previous show that Kevmath was ignoring me in the hallways and pretending like he didn't know me. And he told me that that wasn't intentional. He just was, uh, you know, laser beam focused on his job and, and wasn't trying to ignore me. So to make up for ignoring me, Kevmath gave me the voucher. So I'm like, all right, thank you. So Kevmath allowed me to eat that day, and I, I thank you in my stomach. Thanks you, Kevmath. But uh, that's not why I'm taking the side of the World Series here. I, I think I'm very fair with Caesars. I'm, I'm not someone who just bashes Caesars to bash them. I'm not someone who hates Caesars. If I hated them, then I, I wouldn't go to their hotel. I wouldn't uh, play in the World Series. But I'm honest about them. When they screw up, I tell you guys they screwed up, and I tell you how they screwed up. If they do something right or if they're falsely accused of something or if they're being treated unfairly by the public, I say that too. Uh, you guys may remember last year when that guy in the parking lot got mugged and everyone was saying, oh, this is awful. You know, how could the Rio have such poor security? You know, Poker players becoming victims and the Rio doesn't care. And it turned out the guy was engaging in a drug deal and was trying to avoid security. And then the people he was dealing with, the criminals he was buying drugs from, beat him up. Well, that's the guy's own fault. That's not the Rio's fault. So I, I made it clear. Don't blame the Rio for this one. <laughs> it was this guy's own fault. So I'm very fair with Caesars. If they deserve to be bashed, I bash them. If they deserve to be defended, I defend them. Today I'm going to defend them. Mostly. Not completely, because they screwed up too. But mostly. So let's get going with the main topic, though. The EPT in Malta took place. And uh, the EPT, the European Poker Tour, is owned by PokerStars. They will sometimes farm it out to third-party casinos to just run it and use the EPT name. But whatever it is, I, I never like the third-party excuse. I never like where you have your name on something, your company's name on something. And then when something goes wrong, you go, well, it's not us. It's actually the company we hired. Well, too bad. Then don't put your name on it. If you put your name on it, you have responsibility. Your brand takes the hit. Yeah, I agree. They need to do their, their research and, you know, making sure who they license it out to is, you know, a reputable party. You yeah. can't just license it out and then cop out as an yeah. excuse. And if something goes wrong, they've got to try to make it right or put a lot of pressure on the third party to make it right. They can't just wash their hands of it. You, I hate when third parties, uh, you know, I hate when the company that puts their name on something washes their hands of the situation because the third party is providing the actual service. I, I've dealt with this in a customer service uh, standpoint, too. I've had it before where, like, a like in the old days, I get a call from MCI. Hey, switch to us, and we'll give you a $75 check. I say, okay. I switch to MCI. They uh, never send me the $75 check. I call up MCI. What happened? Oh, well, we hire a third-party company to make those marketing calls. Sometimes they promise things that they shouldn't be and that they really can't promise. So sorry, you get nothing. I go, no, and see, that's wrong because the reason that they're licensing it out and making so much money is because of their name and their brand and their yeah, reputation. Yeah. So they need to bear some of the responsibility. Th that's that what I say. With that. I, I say you've got to – if you're going to save money by having third parties run it instead of you, whatever it is, you've got to take responsibility for their mistakes. They're acting as your agent. Uh, this is both morally and legally. They've got to do this. So anyway, back to the EPT. Here's a story from an individual, a European guy who played at the EPT Malta. I booked 10 days to stay at the Hilton Malta through EPT Travel. While there, I ate room service every day, had f five or more massages, drank their 10-euro beer, and ate their 4-euro Kit Kat crunches. And at the end of the trip, paid around 2K in fees for all the above. I think he's giving too much detail. At halfway through the trip, I went for a massage and left Do Not Disturb on 
my door as they didn't feel the need to have the room cleaned. I do that all the time. I don't like the maid coming into my room. I hardly ever have my room cleaned by the maid because I, I don't want to. I don't want her messing with my stuff. It's not even about stealing all the time. A lot of times it's just like I don't want my stuff rearranged. I, I don't. Uh, I just don't like my stuff being messed with. So I usually just hang a D and D on the door, and that's it. So that's what this guy. I'm the did. same. I'm the same way when I you know when I go out of town or stay at hotels because like when I'm at home, I don't change my bed sheets every night. Right. So it's not okay to go a couple nights. You know. Yeah. I to make the bed myself. It's not worth the hassle. I never understood that. Like people say, oh, don't you need the room clean? Don't you need the bed sheet changed? I said, how often do you clean your house? How often do you change your bed sheets? Once a week, uh, at the yeah. Most. Once a week, once a week, two weeks. I go. Well, okay. Well, there you go. How come if you stay at a hotel for three days, the maid's got to come in? So, anyway, this guy put "Do not disturb." Didn't need the room cleaned, and he said, "I signed the massage on my room and came back and was surprised that the room was cleaned." Later that night, two to three hours later, room service came and I looked for my money to give a tip. The money next to my bed was now gone. I was in the middle of a session, so I kept on playing. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I, I don't know if he means an online poker session or what. I, I would drop everything and deal with that immediately. You don't, you don't keep on playing when you know something like that. You, you jump on this immediately so they can. Yeah, unless he's like at the final table, the Sunday Million or something. <laughs> yeah. You seem like that would be the more pressing issue. Yeah, some of these guys aren't very life smart. I mean, leaving the money in his room next to the bed wasn't very smart either. But uh, never mind. Just going on with this. It was late when I finished and no manager were on site. The next day, I went to the desk in the morning and explained the situation and asked to speak to a manager. I was told the manager would call me within 30 minutes. I was playing the EPT main event but said uh, – but, but – uh, Waited 30 minutes to speak. 90 minutes later, no phone call. I had to go. I went back at the first break and spoke to someone at reception. They told me they would look into it. I went back the next day and still no resolution, but they told me they would fix it. This is already sounding bad. I went back the next day and they showed me the locks, who had been in, when, etc. You know, these electronic key cards, they have a record of who enters the room. So they showed him who had gone in. There were two different cleaning people going into the room while I was having a massage. I explained again, but no resolution. Explaining meaning that he had the do not disturb up. They kept telling me they would get back to me, and the security manager was working on it. Last day was Saturday. I went again and expressed the importance. The security manager came and said he wouldn't be able to fix this as the cleaners weren't in, weren't in meaning weren't uh, in work that day. They weren't at work. And he had been on holiday that week. This was probably the biggest week of the year so far, and lots of money coming from the casino, which was next door, etc. Seems weird, but okay. So he's saying that it's kind of strange that the cleaners suddenly aren't at work and... Uh, well, they're clearly giving them the runaround. Yeah, yeah. Like, this already sounds like really extremely shady. Yes. And so I tweeted to EPT Travel. This is the travel department that handles uh, setting up people's hotel rooms or whatever for the EPT, which, of course, is owned by PokerStars. So these are either PokerStars employees or contractors. The security manager of the hotel, that is, refused to do anything and, and had a really bad attitude. EPT Travel came to the hotel immediately and arranged a meeting with a manager who was too busy to see me previously. So, so far, so good. So far, uh, at least PokerStars is pressuring the manager who wouldn't be see this guy to now sit down and uh, talk about what's going on. So far, A-plus for PokerStars, but it doesn't stay A-plus. He apologized to me and said he would have fixed it earlier, but uh, he's the only, but the only person who could see the lock codes was the security manager. 
that was his very first line to me, and it was bullshit. I had been shown two days previously by someone who wasn't a senior. I told him that I didn't want any more lies and wouldn't speak to people who would uh, open an exchange with lies. EPT travel were very sympathetic and agreed it had been terrible service. I was told this would be fixed and refunded by Monday. Now, this is already a problem here. He's saying they were very sympathetic, but what does that mean? Uh, EPT travel can jerk the guy off and say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is awful. Oh, wow, that's that's too bad. Yeah, you're, you're being treated terribly. Well, good luck to you. Goodbye. Like, EPT travel is supposed to put pressure on them, not just say, oh, yeah, this is awful, but they're supposed to make this guy and make the hotel make this right, not not just passively go, oh, yeah, I agree with you. You got wronged. Well, all right, too bad. But at least he was told by EPT Travel that this would be fixed and refunded by Monday. So I understand he's letting EPT Travel try to maybe pressure them. I, they accused me, they meaning uh, the hotel, accused me initially of spending this money on the massage, but I signed it to the room. They were saying I must have spent it on dinner, but I had dinner in my room and signed for it. So they, they were just grasping at straws to explain away where the money could have gone rather than stolen, accusing him now of lying, but everything they accused him of. They're like, oh, I bet you spent it on the massage. Oh, yeah, then how come I signed the massage to my room? Duh, whoops. I, I mean, you probably spent it on dinner. Yeah, here's the dinner receipt. I signed it to my room. Duh, well, yeah, I, you spent it somewhere. So very, very shady. Uh, they had told me throughout the week previously to leave it with them and they would fix it. I leave the country. Once you leave the country, you're done, by the way. There's, there's no way you're getting it fixed at this point. Uh, then they call me saying to call the police if I want anything. So they got, yeah, make a police report from another country. See how that works out for you. The amount stolen was less than 1,000 euros, but substantial money to anybody. By the way, the euro and the dollar are getting very close, so it's near $1,000 he had stolen probably. If this was a normal customer and not a poker player, I'm sure they'd be going crazy. I don't agree with that. I, I think that they targeted him because he's a poker player, but I don't think uh, – I think if the security shady, security shady. They wouldn't be going crazy for someone who's not a poker player. You know, I don't have a lot of like international travel experience, but it seems like a lot of these places – they really don't go out of their way or even give much of an effort to help the foreigners in situations like this. No, they don't. And that's uh, that's why you need an advocate like PokerStars who yeah. has power. You have no because power. Because they can write them off and they figure, okay, well, they're here from out of a country. It's like how often are they going to come back here and frequent our business Yeah, and they can't if do we much, don't make them happy? Right, and they can't do much legally either. We had a, this at the Rio. This is a Rio situation which I did blame the Rio where uh, a guy stole money off a cash game table and ran off with it like 20 k and the victim was German. And I, I spoke to the German guy's girlfriend. She happened to end up at one of my tables at the World Series. And, and basically the Rio gave them the runaround. It wouldn't uh, help them and wouldn't really talk much to them. They just uh, were just pushing them away. And I said, yeah, I bet the reason for this is because they know you won't sue them because you're going back to Germany and it'll be too hard. She said, yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. So I, I think the Rio would have taken them more seriously if they were people who were like Nevada locals who could have sued them. And that's you, a pretty poor outlook. I mean, they should they should take care of all their you yeah, know, customers on a on a equal basis. You know, of course. So so he goes on to say, I've stayed in Ho- in Hiltons around the world. In fact, I just stayed at Hilton, by the way. I've spent five figures in their hotels and restaurants and never received a problem. I've played in over fifty thousand euros worth of tournaments in their casino next door and was playing very high stakes cash games there. I have no reason to lie. And make this up as the money was 100% taken. So he's trying to say, you know, the guy's got, he's trying to say he has plenty of money and wouldn't go through all this trouble to pretend he lost $1,000. I, I believe him. I mean, I, there's no reason to make this up. It's a, uh, the hotel is amazing. I really, really loved it. 
<laughs> I don't know how you could say that. Uh, I had great service from the reception, notably Mirth and Cl- Clarissa, but the security manager and acting managers lied to me and treated me with no respect. This is now unresolved, and the only way I can get the money back is by going back to speak to the police in Malta, which obviously I'm not going to do. So, you know, obviously the guy was a dumbass to leave cash unsecured in the room. You never do that. Whenever you're in a hotel and you have cash with you, you either take it with you or you put it in the room safe. Now, the room safe is not infallible, but it's a hell of a lot better than putting it in the room somewhere. Hell of a lot better because uh, there's a procedure to open up those safes. Not, not that it can't be compromised, but it's much tougher to compromise. The maid, the, the maid can't just open it up easily. So it would require a lot of effort and a lot of conspiracy to get that safe open. Whereas, yeah, some kind of inside job, yeah. you know, not just a simple act of theft. Yeah. The, so, I mean, there's only so much you can do when you're bringing cash to a place. And if you really want to go overboard, you can you know, have them hold it for safekeeping or keep it at the cage. You can do that too. But, but at the very least, put it in the safe. Anyway, this guy has 2,700 posts or so on 2 Plus 2 since December 2011. He's not some new player that nobody knows. He's not a famous player or anything, but he's been around. I haven't heard of any other issues or scandals with this poster, so I believe that he's presenting a true story to us. Don't know for sure, but probably. Once again, an EPT-affiliated hotel has a shady staff which victimizes poker players. Once again, the staff at the EPT does nothing about it, and they put zero pressure on the hotel to make it right or be truthful. That's the problem here. EPT travel should have gone to the property manager. Not the security manager, not the manager on duty, but the head honcho at that Hilton and said, look, you guys are making a lot of money from this tournament. You need to be truthful with the victimized player here. You need to do a thorough investigation that we deem acceptable. And, uh, you know, you need to find out what happened here and you need to try to make it right for the guy. Now, I'm not saying that they should just hand the guy $1,000 because otherwise you're going to have a lot of copycats who go, uh, yeah, I had a do not disturb up and the maid came in and stole $5,000 from me. So, uh, you know, can you please give me $5,000 or I'm going to cry foul? Yeah, I agree with that. I think they should at least go through their, their standard procedure and, and, and give a proper investigation, right. not give the guy a runaround. Right. They should, they should investigate it honestly. They should do all they can to get to the bottom of it. Almost as if, think if I was managing that hotel. Think about what I would do, and that's what they should do. They should look at every piece of evidence they have. They should interview the cleaners who came in. They should try to find any inconsistency in their story. They should take it very seriously. They should make a common-sense judgment as to whether or not this really occurred. If they think that uh, it's ambiguous whether it happened or not and they can't really tell, uh, then they should... then I can understand them saying, look, we've looked at all the evidence. Unfortunately, we, you know, we don't know either way. That's why you're supposed to secure your valuables. We're very sorry, but we've looked at everything we can. Here's everything we saw. Unfortunately, it's not conclusive either way. But, but if they saw the – if they interviewed these cleaners and they, were, they had conflicting stories and if they had any hint that this guy was telling the truth, and since it's only about $1,000, you give the guy the $1,000, say sorry about that, fire the cleaners – and tell the security manager, either tell him, shape up, or fire him. In fact, you should fire him. But uh, at the very least, this has to be investigated thoroughly and the victims treated with respect and treated honestly. And if they are not treated honestly and with respect, then poker stars should deem this an improper venue for their tournaments and they should pull out. They should give them one chance to make this right. And if they are not satisfied... 
they should pull out. But PokerStars doesn't do that because they want to make their money from it. They want everyone to come back next year and play. So they want to cover this up. They always it, it, The modus operandi here of these things is always to get the player to believe it's being handled, lie to them, stonewall them, get them to leave the country, and then tell them, sorry, we couldn't find anything to buy. Call the police. That's, you know that's, what the problem is with poker stars is like poker stars is like that really hot girl that knows she's really hot. Like they know they're number one, so they probably figure they can get away with this stuff, and they still realize that they're going to be in pretty good shape. Yes, that's exactly what they do because they 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 believe that their good reputation for the way they operate their online poker room and give customer service will supersede any bad press they get from things like this. So all they want to do is cover it up, not comment much, and uh, sweep it under the rug. Just leave the victims as victims and tough luck on them and keep running the tournaments as they were before. I'm not saying PokerStars was in on this. I'm not saying PokerStars wants its players to be stolen from. I'm not saying that anyone at PokerStars uh, was getting bribed to cover it up. I'm saying they don't want to make waves. They, They have a good thing going, and they don't want to make waves. They don't want to get in a fight with... The hotel. They don't want to have to pull out. They don't want to have to make a threat that they are not willing to actually carry out. They don't want to threaten EPT Malta. Uh, you know, They don't want to threaten the Hilton and tell them we're going to pull out if you don't make this right and then not pull out if they don't make it right or they look stupid. So they don't want to do it. They don't want to ruin the relationship. They, they want everything to continue as is and just Pretend this didn't happen. That's always what they do. And funny enough, they even do this at their own tournaments, like the PCA, when something goes wrong. Uh, they, they do a very poor investigation. They, they have idiots on site there as far as uh, managers from poker stars to handle anything that comes up. I'm talking about the PCA at, in the Bahamas. And then after the fact, when more intelligent people deal with it, like Lee Jones, uh, they, they always undercompensate those affected by anything that goes wrong. They're just terrible at running live tournaments. They're terrible at adversity that comes up at live tournaments. Terrible. So I would recommend staying away from any live tournaments that PokerStars runs because they're never going to take care of you if something goes wrong. As good as their customer service is on their online version of their site, they're that bad with their live events. They just they take no responsibility for anything even at their own events they screw things up and uh, try to sweep it under the rug undercompensate people it's just a mess we've had so many stories on this show of exactly things like that occurring so uh, how do you feel yeah i i agree with that like you said that incident in the pca i don't remember the exact format but there was that tournament several years ago um where it was like they're introducing some new format and there was like clearly an exploitable strategy or the people who went later had some big advantage you remember what i'm talking about yeah and they you know i don't think they ever truly made that right No, they didn't they, they underpaid everybody it was it was when they had a, a stupid tournament involving uh i forgot the details but it was some some kind of gimmick tournament they had where you play against free money players on the site but play it live and the, the people at the end had a huge edge over the people at the beginning because they changed the rules and uh, they allowed them to play together and uh uh, it allowed people who, you know, and people who ended up winning were ones who had the huge edge coming in just because they changed the rules near the end. And the people who should have won were very, very undercompensated. They were given like an extra min cash for it. So, yeah, they they just blow everything. Uh, Benford says in the chat, if I were that poker player, I would also contact California's legislative body and explain that poker stars uh, and explain poker stars' behavior in this incident while the state is considering. 
doling out the online poker licenses. That's a good idea, actually. I mean, I'm not going to do it. It doesn't involve me. But, yeah, uh, that is where they have some power, to show that PokerStars is still not totally acting right. So, you know, PokerStars is not cheating people directly here, but they, they just don't want to get involved if theft occurs. They, they, they lack, I think they lack a lot of accountability because they just – they're arrogant and they – think that they can get away with it because they're still head and shoulders above the rest of the competition, yeah. but that still doesn't make it right to, to cop out in these instances just because they realize that, well, what are people going to do? Go to a worse site? Yeah. You know? yeah they, they need to protect the brand and they need to, even if they're making money from these EPTs, they need to just drop them if they're having problems with the hotels where they're taking place. You can't, you can't hold these EPTs at hotels where security is shady and, and maybe stealing from people or covering up stealing from people. That's just awful. So they should they should have backed out of uh, the Barcelona Arts and not come back there, and this Malta place they they need to really lay the hammer down there, but I doubt they will. So uh, let's see from uh, the chat room. Shiz Money says the PCA has tournament directors that also work at Foxwoods. One is this guy Mike Ward who was fired from Foxwoods for stealing rebuy money. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh, another guy with chopsticks. Yeah, <laughs> that's a different one, but yeah, it seems to be a lot of uh, money stolen from Foxwood for whatever reason. Another one, this guy Mike, is a retard and was the one who disqualified Stealth Monk at a final table of Foxwoods last year. I don't know anything about that. All right, so yeah, they, they just don't do a good job running these live tournaments. So Shame on PokerStars for this one. A lot of negative PokerStar stories recently. We also had one where accounts were getting compromised and they weren't exercising the proper security methods or taking proper responsibility. So, And I don't think it's going to get any better with their new ownership group. You already talked about like the, the zoom uh, or the spinning goes and stuff like, you know, I don't think it's even going to be heading in a better direction no, with, it's their, not. with their new ownership. No, the new ownership is very centered upon making money and nothing else. They, they care. Yeah, much so more. if they wouldn't do away with the, the Barcelona in years past and stuff like that, I really don't think it's going to happen going forward. With, yeah. You know, it's not, they, they just, they kind of look at the macro picture. And if they say, if we will make more money by staying than we would by leaving, then we are staying. We don't care about the, anything moral about staying or leaving. If, if at the end of the year we make more money by staying, then we're staying and we don't care what happens. So, I was unhappy to read about that still occurring, and I think it's going to keep occurring as long as they keep holding these EPT events at shady locations and don't do anything to really stop the theft. Yeah, I agree. When I when I heard about this story, read about the outline, and saw that story, like I wasn't really that surprised. To be I wasn't either. I wasn't either. Well, here's one that surprised me a little bit, but also maybe not. Carbon Poker is apparently having cash out issues, and. I wondered if this day would come because Carbon Poker has always been a little bit uh, – there's the ice again. Was that ice clicking? I heard ice? I don't believe so. The ice the ice is long melted in my drink. It's weird. no longer do, there. Do you, do you have like a watch that, that uh, clicks or something when you move your – it's weird. I keep hearing – not keep. I heard it for the first time in a while. Okay, I'll just – I'll ignore it. All right, so Carbon Poker has a good reputation. They have been around uh, for a while and they became one of the major sites post-Black Friday once PokerStars, Full Tilt, and UB were out of the U.S. market. The biggest ones remaining were Lock Poker, 
Bodog and Carbon Poker. Of course, uh, Lock Poker was part of the Verge Network for some time, and then uh, they left, and you know the whole saga with them. But uh, right now, as it stands today, it's basically Carbon and Bodog, and, and America's Card Room is up there too, but it's mainly those two as the big ones. And Carbon is where I actually chose to play once you know Poker Stars and Full Tilt got shut down. Um, that's where I decided to go post Black Friday. And I had pretty good experiences with them for the most part. But I started to notice things getting cut back, like they were cutting back on their, their VIP programs and getting rid of rake back yeah. and all kinds of stuff. So I, I withdrew most of my money and just have like a nominal sum on there now. I quit there. I could kind of see the writing on the wall. Yeah, I quit there actually like three years ago because the games just weren't very good anymore. They just were too tough. There were too many tough pros playing games that weren't even that high. It was like a, I'm like playing 1020 there against these really good limit hold'em pros. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is a this is like the worst of both worlds. A limit lower than I nor- normally play and good players. Like, <laughs> why am I doing? And this? no guarantee that your money is you know 100 percent good. So yeah. I agree. Like, why why is it worth the effort? So, so I quit there and I quit online poker in general. And then I, I played WSOP.com you know, last year when I was in Nevada. And then I then I returned to Bovada in September, and I really decided they were the best option, even with their idiosyncrasies and problems. And that's still where I play. But anyway, back to Carbon. They have a good cash-out history. They sometimes were a bit slow, but it was understandably slow for U.S. players because of the difficulty in paying U.S. players these days given the legal environment, but they were always very quick with payments from uh, to, to uh, players who were not in the U.S. And it was generally assumed that if you played on Carbon, you were going to get your money. Sometimes it took a while. Sometimes your cash-out limits were not as high as you would like them to be if you're a high-limit player, but you'd get your money. Maybe not anymore. Now, this is from professionalrakeback.com which is actually a big carbon poker shill. They they are one of the bigger rakeback providers, one of the bigger affiliates of carbon poker. So keep in mind when this is coming from them, <laughs> that's already a little uh, questionable about uh, the future of carbon poker. And I, I, I've i talked to the guy who runs professional rakeback before. You know, we've played Limit Hold'em together. I've talked to him on Skype before. He's an okay guy. I don't know all that much about him, but... Uh, he gets mad when I accuse him of being a shill for Carbon Poker, but he kind of is. Anyway, this is what he wrote. Over the past two months, players have seen their cash-outs via checks load from around a three-week average to a six- to eight-week average. This has caused some players to become worried as many have become uh, have been bitten by shady or untrustworthy sites in the past and are scared that this could be happening again. For those players, there is a fairly bright silver lining to the situation, though, that hasn't been present with other sites such as Lock Poker. Rest of the world cashouts are still taking a short amount of time. When Lock Poker stopped paying players, getting cashouts, even via Skrill, would take over a month, but that is yet to be the case with Carbon Poker. Well, I mean, again, this is being written by somebody who's not unbiased. This is someone who makes his money by people signing up on Carbon Poker. He's got a very tight relationship with them. Very tight. I can tell you that with certainty. But uh, here's where I'm getting very skeptical. People are getting emails from Carbon Poker claiming that the current processing delays for U.S. players receiving their money is not because payment processors are getting busted or other logistical issues like that. No. 
It's because a lot of people bet money and won on the Super Bowl and cashed out immediately, creating a big cash-out backlog. (laughs) Come on. Come on. All right. That's a pretty tired excuse. Yeah, now think about this. Before you think, wait, maybe maybe that's possible. Think about this. Now, they are owned by Sportsbook.com, by the way. Carbon Poker Merge Network. So you may say, okay, well, it makes sense. People go on sportsbook.com. They place big bets on the Super Bowl. They win. They want their money. And then this backs out the whole, backs up the whole cash out process. And people have to wait longer. That makes sense. It's, uh, we can understand that. Super Bowl has very heavy betting. I'll tell you why it makes no sense. It is rare. I wouldn't say it's doesn't happen, but it is rare that someone deposits money on a site just to bet on the Super Bowl and then pulls it off. I agree 100%. I would think a good percentage of those people would continue to bet other games. Right. That that when you've just hit a nice windfall on the Super Bowl, keep in mind most people betting on the Super Bowl are probably betting token amounts, $50, dollars you know, they're, nothing they're going to rush to cash out. But even those betting big are not going to go, wow, okay, well, I just bet uh, $5,000 in the Super Bowl. I won. Okay. Cashing the whole thing out, goodbye, I'm never betting again. Or, or I'm betting, I'm cashing out 80% of it. I'll leave the last 20%. That's not what most people do. When you win something like that, you get a good feeling. You feel like you're smart. You feel like you have your finger on the pulse of these games you're betting on. And you want to bet on more. That, well, back in the good old days, these people would take some of that money and go sit down at the poker tables and dust it off. Yeah, that, and I'm sure that happened a lot too. Uh, basically... People don't just win and say, okay, I'm done betting, goodbye, thank you, give me my money. That doesn't happen online. There are just not many cash outs from either sports books or from poker sites because people are usually not satisfied with whatever run-up they've had at the moment. Cash outs tend to occur when someone has consistently had a lot of money, had a lot of winnings. And then they go, okay, well, I've been consistently winning about a while. I, I'm going to keep winning. I might as well cash out at this point. That's that's the thinking, whether correct or incorrect, that most players use to cash out, myself included. I always make sure I have the proper bankroll to keep playing what I want to play, whether it's sports betting, whether it's poker. I, I don't just cash out the second I win. So most people who win in the Super Bowl are not going to immediately run and cash out. Some do. Most don't. So I think they may have had a slight bump in withdrawals around Super, t- Super Bowl time, but I don't think it caused the massive cash-out delays that we're currently seeing. And keep in mind, now it's more than two months after the Super Bowl, and things have not improved much. Also, why did they not warn anyone who cashed out right when this happened? The Super Bowl occurred in early February. If these people really did rush to go cash out, how come Carbon didn't email people saying, Hi, uh... Thank you for your cash out request. Uh, just to let you know, it's going to be some additional time because of uh, these Super Bowl bets. They would have known then if, if there's a big backlog. But they said nothing. This really sounds like that they are having to come up with an excuse and they reverse engineered the excuse by looking at the date this all started and go, okay, early February, early February. What was happening early February? Ah, the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's a good excuse. The Super Bowl. A lot of times people will reverse engineer excuses when they're going to be lying about something. And uh, 
especially if they have time to think about it. It's harder to do if someone puts you on the spot. But uh, a lot of times if someone accuses you of something and you've actually done it, you can sometimes come up with an actual excuse that sounds very true because it you know, either coincides with the date that something happened or it's the partial truth. I, I once uh, got pulled over by a cop for having a uh, having no front license plate. I don't like having front license plates. I, so I got pulled over for having no front license plate, and he was going to write me a ticket. I'm like, crap, crap, crap. What do I say? What do I say? What do I say? And it's an annoying fix-it ticket. you got to go down and you put the plate on and have the DMV certify you have it on. It's a big pain in the ass. Like, crap, how do I get out of this? Then I remembered... I remembered that, and this is a number of years ago. This isn't a car I have anymore. But I remembered that uh, a large piece of debris on the freeway got kicked up by a truck and rolled over my hood as I was driving on the freeway and then rolled over the, the top of my car and just scratched the whole thing up, and I hadn't fixed it yet. So thinking on my feet, I told the cop that the front plate got knocked off when this occurred. <laughs> now, you may think this is a dumb excuse But it made sense And I said look It hit the front of my car Rolled up the hood Rolled over my car Look you can go take a look At the damage for yourself So the guy walks around my car Sees the damage starting from around Where the license plate is and, and going up the hood Exactly as I describe it He says when did this happen I said it happened three days ago Turned out it actually It actually happened like a month ago And I hadn't fixed it yet But uh, you know It didn't have a timestamp on it he said, all right, well, all adds up to me. You can go. Get the license plate fixed. Didn't write me a ticket. So I told the truth. I told the truth that uh, that thing had really rolled over my car, but it didn't knock, over my, it didn't knock off my license plate. I voluntarily had no license plate. So uh, this, it's something like this here. They, they probably got a little bit of an increased demand for cash outs around the Super Bowl time, but there's no way that this is the truth. So what is the truth? Has Carbon Poker stolen everyone's money? Have they been hacked in some way? Have they faced some kind of unexpected expense and cannot pay for things because they had to pay with the player money, which again is stealing? Or... Are they having trouble finding processors that can pay out right now to U.S. players and don't want to admit it? I think it's a toss-up between they are broke or close to broke and they're having trouble finding processors. So it could be something as innocent as they just can't get a processor at the moment and as soon as they get one, then no problem. These processors are very shady. They steal. They, They do all kinds of crappy things that you never hear about that the poker sites like Carbon just have to eat. When a processor makes off with their money, there's nothing they can do about it. And it's better for them just to, just to, just to chalk it up as a loss yeah. than it is to you know, put that out there and you know, it might discourage some people from wanting to put money on the site. Yeah. So they just accept it as a cost of doing business in their current environment. By the way, there's a 978 area code uh, calling in. Uh, please, uh, he's calling again. Let me put him on. I think I know who this is. Is this China Maniac? Hey, what's up? That's what I thought. That's what I remember. I recognize that 978 uh, Boston area code. So, all right. Uh, Shiny Maniac, I know you play on Carvin. What do you have to say about this? All right. This, I think it's getting blown a little out of proportion. Um, 
by a lot of the users on 2 plus 2, obviously, because there's a huge thread. Yeah. And they saw what happened with lock poker. But at the same time, yeah, they, they are, the checks are taking, in some cases, I think up to nine weeks right now. Uh-huh. But, like, you know, I want, I want to first say, like, I'm not an active carbon affiliate right now. Uh-huh. Like, it, so anything I say isn't going to support me in any which way. I used to affiliate a little bit there, but not anymore. But the Super Bowl thing, this actually has happened for like three straight years that that I'm aware of. That after the Super Bowl, the cash outs have slowed down all the way up until late August. And if anyone that looks in that thread on two plus two that has all the cash out request dates and whatever can see that there's like three years of data to support that hmm. um, why it happens and whether it is the Super Bowl I have no idea but I can see people requesting checks and stuff if they get a huge log jam yeah it's going to take a little longer to process some checks but someone proposed a theory to me today that also made a lot of sense like if you owned a, an online casino, wouldn't you want people to gamble that money back and instead of paying them? Ah, like I'm not saying I'm not saying that's what they're doing, but that's interesting. Obviously, they're going to take in a ton of money from people losing. But yeah. what about all the people that won on Super Bowl? Bank? No, that's a good point. Like, the longer those people have money on the site, the more likely they are to cancel their withdrawal and then just chunk the money off. Yeah, well, that's interesting. That's pretty shady too, if that's what they're doing. Uh, I mean, I can't say for certain that's what they're doing, but that was just one thing that came up, and I said, yeah, that would actually make sense. Like, if I owned a casino, and I was a shady person that, not shady, but whatever, you know, and I said, hey, this is the best chance to get these people's money without paying for the expense of processing in the United States, why not? But at the same time, they've... Even pre-Black Friday on carbon, checks checks were taking 12 weeks. Um, in sportsbook, too, I mean, I'm not saying to go deposit a ton of money on there or anything like that, but it's like this type of stuff has been happening for like four years there, and they always do pay. But, you know, it, you just don't like to see this go on for much longer. And they have processed some checks the last few days. And I'm actually waiting for um, a bank wire on there, and I've been waiting since, like, February 18th. So. Now, how long does it usually take for you? Like, bank wires? Yeah. I mean, the first one I ever got, I think, took six weeks. But then after that, they typically took, like, about seven, maybe 14 days max. Yeah. And this is the longest one that I've ever waited for, I think, right now. It's tied for the longest. Yeah, I'll tell you something with my experience with Bovada. I've been doing some bank wires there, and I noticed that Bovada went from uh, – they've always been pretty fast with the wires, but they got super fast with me where the last few I had were – from the moment I requested them, it would be in my bank account in three days, would you believe? And uh, right. this last one, I requested one on, on night of April 1st. I just got it yesterday, so it took six days, which I'm not complaining about. Six days is, is perfectly fine, but I, I was a little surprised that it. Uh, I, I expected the three day. I got used to the three day thing, and they do advise you can be five to ten days. So I, I, I'm not saying they did anything wrong. I'm just saying I'm like, hmm, I wonder what slowed this down a bit. But it definitely wasn't the Super Bowl because I got plenty since the Super Bowl that were took me three days. I, I was actually shocked the other way that they could process a bank wire for me in three days, but. Uh, Bodog, they've always been the best at, at payouts. This has been their specialty. 
And right. So it doesn't surprise me they do yeah. the best. But uh, but carbon. Yeah, I, I have to say that the problem is, it's it's one of these things that eventually, if they do screw everyone, it will go down just like this, and you never know if it's going to be. If it's just another one of these temporary delays that will improve or if this is the big one where everyone's done and if they're just paying a few people out for appearances. And that's that's what's so crappy and that's why it sucks when they can't be completely honest and when they can't give everyone a heads up right when it occurs. Like the Super Bowl thing, first of all, if they're doing it on purpose, right. that's really crappy, which uh, that's an interesting theory right. and uh, that's really crappy if that's what they're doing, if they're doing it on purpose. But, but putting that aside, if they're having payment processor issues or whatever or, or the Super Bowl really is causing this – for whatever reason, though, I don't believe it. Uh, tell people right. when they request the cash out, hey, uh, sorry, because of this time right. of year, uh, you can expect it to be six weeks instead of two weeks. Would you like to still have the cash out? Don't, don't surprise them with it. With People are expecting the money in two weeks, and, and it takes uh, you know nine weeks, and, and they still don't have their money. This, to me, looks bad. And, and one of these right. times, one of these times is going to be lock poker, or it could be. So yeah. that's what I scares me. It could be with yeah, it could be with with any U.S. site. That could be the case. You know, any site that's operating without a license in the United States illegally. I mean, yeah, at any point in time, sure, that could definitely happen. I actually just got a message from someone right now that somebody that I know pretty well got a cash out there through their debit card. And he's actually the only kid I know that has a debit card withdrawal with them. Um and they've been processing, like, Western Unions and MoneyGram for, like, every day they process them. Like, if people have that as an option, you can cancel your check, wire, whatever, and get the money that way. Uh-huh. But they only shoot you up, like, 1000 or 2000 at a time. Yeah. But um, so, so it's think either- about it, though. Like, think about it, though. Like, the Super Bowl thing, like, the theory that, that someone presented to me, like, if the Super Bowl ends, a lot of people just bet NFL, and then they might want to cash out. The longer they hold on to your money, uh, the, the longer more people are going to say, ah, screw it, you know? NBA yeah. playoffs, let's go. Major League Baseball, let's go. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, you're, you're right that, uh, you know, people, I didn't think about it from the NFL standpoint. I thought about the Super Bowl standpoint. You're right that if people are only betting NFL, the Super Bowl is the last game. So they may want to withdraw at that point. So maybe this is an intentional hold back for for this but uh you would think they'd be smart enough to only delay the cash out to those who are betting on the Super Bowl like those who bet on NFL and not delay the poker players but these maybe they're not discriminating here as far as that's concerned but there's there's shady ways they could accomplish that without scaring their poker players it's a I, I think from what you're describing here it's probably either they're having issues with payment processors and that's why they can do certain methods but not others or they are paying out certain methods where it can't be very much money quickly for appearances. So they, they made the decision, well, the bigger amounts are requested this way, so we're going to really slow down these ways. And the smaller amounts, which are requested in these other ways, uh, will will pay out anything in those other ways. So it makes it just look like a certain type of cash out is struggling and not we're struggling in general. So it, it's, right. I think it's got to be one of those two things and, and maybe as a as an – a long shot theory that, but, the, that they're holding back people's money from the cash outs on purpose. But they're like, they're still cashing out Skrill and like even like 2012 or something when they stopped the player to player transfers, like even Skrills then were taking like three to four weeks. 
you know. So, but so if you have a lot of I money think, on carbon, if and you have Skrill, if you're not a U.S. player, you can cash out a large sum right now quickly with Skrill. I think it it was it was like three or four days. It might be like a week, something like that. Now I know a couple of people that said they were waiting like ten days, but they got them, and. I know a couple other people that told me the same thing that they got them. But but, but has a that slowed down a bit? Them. Has that slowed down a bit too? I think it's slowed down a little bit, but yeah. not a lot. See, I, 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 think, I don't uh, like that. I don't like that. It shouldn't slow down big, at all. Then I think the big thing with this network in general, I think it, it almost seems like they they lack employees. Like the lot of the customer service, like via like if you use email, it's like almost pointless. But you could call them at any time. They're always there. It seems like they're pretty well staffed, and a lot of poker networks are like that. It almost seems like with, like, Merge, Sportsbook, whatever, that it's like – I've said this to a couple of people. It's almost like somebody's trying to run a McDonald's on, like, like in New York City off the freeway with, like, two people running the entire McDonald's. That's what it seems <laughs> like to me. Like, it just seems like they're way understaffed. Yeah, uh, yeah it like could be people, that people keep posting these messages they're having with live support. It's like, like they're just getting the same generic messages over and over from, and it's probably coming from a computer half the time, you know? Yeah. I'm sure the people that they have answering these emails are a lot of them are just support monkeys that they pay very little that don't even necessarily work directly for the company. They just work for some large live, you know, large support clearing house that just shoot out uh, form letters. But, yeah, this is this is I'd say right now moderately concerning. It's it's not time to panic yet in my opinion, but I think it's something moderately concerning, especially if if all the methods of, methods have slowed down some. There's really no excuse right. for that. You can you can blame it on processors or other things. Uh, because if you take a look at it, why would they be slower from a huge run of cash out requests uh, at the Super Bowl? Well, the only reason to explain that would be if their processors that are sending money to the U.S. illegally can only do so many without attracting attention, so that it creates a backlog. But it doesn't explain why rest of the world players would be slowing down at all. And if it's a matter of just processing them, I mean, look, we're in April now. They, they should have cleared that backlog by now. They should have had people working day and night on it. I, I think it's more than this. So I, I don't know what it is, but I think it's a little more than what they're letting on. It could be. But like I said, like, this has happened, like, three straight years where – they always slow down, and then come August, the cash-out speeds usually get to within two weeks or, like, a week. But this one is definitely, I think, the longest that it's ever been. So, like you said, yeah, it's, it's something to keep an eye on. But just from my experience, but I think I think they will catch up. But, you know, you, you, you have to see it to really believe it. Yeah. Especially with like U.S. online poker sites, until you see it, um, you know, you you just gotta wait for it to happen. And it, it, you know, and it does suck for people that have like, you know, whatever money they need or they want to get off. But that's just what we're dealing with now in the United States. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, th- thank so. you for your uh, input on this, and uh, I guess we'll see what happens. We'll keep covering this as the situation progresses. Okay. Thanks All right. A lot, Jeff. Thank Talk you. To you later. That was China Maniac, a frequent player on the Carbon Poker Network, the Merge Network, and I thought he had some good insight. Uh, Grant, how do you feel about it? What do you think is going on there? 
You know, I actually thought that was a very interesting point that China made about stalling people because a lot of sports bettors tend to maybe be a little on the degenerate side and maybe they would just get frustrated and rather than just sit there and wait for their cash out, maybe they would just bet on other games. I hadn't really considered that. Um, to me, I'm thinking they probably are maybe having a little money issues. It could be the payment processor thing. I mean, I've had probably half a dozen checks from Carbon and uh, over the last three to four years, and they all came relatively quick for me, like less than a month and no problem cashing them at the bank. So I don't know. I'm not really buying the whole Super Bowl thing, to be honest with you. I think they're having some kind of issues. Either they're understaffed, too small of an operation, or maybe they're just just running a little short on funds. Yeah. Uh, by the so way, thankfully, I, I just have a, a nominal amount left on that site, so I'm not too worried about but i do feel for the the players who are waiting on on their cash outs beer and poker saying don't worry carbon poker will be processing very soon they have their new processor chef juan sepulveda handling everything (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's move on to our next topic david oliot devilfish he passed away from cancer and boy, there are a lot of comments about what a great guy he was. Let me uh, bring up some of them here. This is, uh, I mean, everyone had, not everyone, but most people on 2 Plus 2, on Facebook, on Twitter, had great things to say. That surprises me, because he never struck me as a type of who had like really, you know, a popular following or like a good reputation. So to hear you say that kind of shocks me, to be honest with you. Yeah, this is more than I expected to. So uh, this from uh, Angie Dubs on 2 Plus 2. Love Devilfish, one of my all-time favorite poker characters. Just learned the news of his passing. I'm too shocked and sad, but it may be post later with a Devilfish story from a few summers ago at World Series of Poker. I'm hopeful the decision makers put him in the Hall of Fame. I voted him a few years ago when there's some fan vote thing. Devilfish is an overdue classic poker character who belongs. Uh, uh, Squirty12. I consider it an honor to have been told fuck off by him at the tables, and more so because it was reported on poker news. Uh, R.I.P. Dave, you'll be missed, said Pocket Pool. Sheep Wrestler uh, uh, says uh, regarding to him uh, talking to people at the table who uh, he doesn't really know. This is my experience, too. The guy just started talking to me like he'd known me his whole life. Hugely charismatic. So uh, there's so many messages like this that uh, people are lauding Devilfish as charismatic, an interesting character, funny, interesting, great on TV, good for poker, etc., etc., etc. Tragedy that he died. Now, here's the truth. David Devilfish Oliot was not a good guy. Prior to entering poker, he served two separate prison sentences for burglary and safe cracking. <laughs> safe cracking? I mean, what the hell? It's, it's like one of these uh, old spy movies where the guy brings like a stethoscope to a safe. and uh... What, did he work for one of those hotels that the EPT hosted at? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's probably what that's, uh, that should have been his job. It should have been a, a side job he had with poker. Yeah. So he, he, he was a criminal underworld figure. And this is not a theory or a guess or a rumor. He admitted to this when people asked him about it. 
he was a criminal. He was a career criminal who burglarized places, apparently cracked safes, was caught twice and served two different prison sentences for it. Uh, he was known to carry a gun around with him wherever he went. He, he got in tons of street fights everywhere. This was not a good guy. You may say, oh, wow, kind of cool, uh, the you know, burglary, safe cracking. Well, that's not cool. If, think if your home is the one that's burglarized by him, your business, and you come and you find everything you worked hard for is gone. Or uh, you, know, you find your safe was opened up and, and everything taken out of it. That's very traumatic. That's very, it's, uh, and it's, it's very frustrating, and it's, it's not fair that you lose uh, what you worked hard for because some jerk uh, steals from you. So this is not a good character. And you know what? When he talked about those days, he didn't speak with regret. He didn't say, well, I used to do that, but then I grew up and realized how crappy that was and what a mistake I made when I was younger. I don't know how old he was when this occurred, but uh, he could have not even been that young. But he said, it's not like he said he regrets what he used to do and he's a different person now and now he's joined the straight and narrow and just plays poker no his reason for quitting that whole lifestyle he said was because he found that at the poker table he can legally make money (laughs) he wasn't even critical of his own behavior in the past it was just uh, part of the devilfish legend but it goes beyond that if you want to forgive his criminal record I witnessed him treating women very badly and I I don't mean speaking disrespectfully to his girlfriend or anything like that I mean I watched him grope women who were with other guys that were not flirting with him were not asking for it he would put his hands on their breasts on their ass without any, any provocation from them whatsoever no good reason for him to be doing this. And it wasn't women that he knew well that would take this well. These would be relative strangers to him. And even he would do this sometimes in front of their boyfriends or husbands if he wasn't afraid of them. And you were just supposed to accept this, that this is just part of his character. Can you imagine if you're there with your wife? And by the way, this never happened to anyone I was with, so I'm not bitter that he grabbed my girlfriend's ass or something. But I, I watched it happen to other people. And, and I know others who saw it happen. I know others who know others who saw it happen. This is a, this definitely occurred very often with him. And imagine you you bring your girlfriend or your wife uh, to some kind of function with poker players, and and then Devilfish is is grabbing her breasts or her ass or something. Imagine you see this happening. So th- this is not a good person. And and even if he's entertaining at the tables, even if he has. It made poker more fun to watch on TV and therefore brought more people to watch it on TV and therefore more fish deposited into online poker or played live poker. And, and you know, maybe he brought people to poker. Maybe he was someone who was influential in that way, especially in Europe. So it's very possible he had a positive effect on the poker economy, but that doesn't make him a good person or worthy of mourning. This is someone who showed no respect to other human beings. This is someone who stole. And then this is someone who, once he was into poker, and I'm sure before that too, was extremely disrespectful toward women and towards people's relationships. It's one thing if 
you know, there's a woman in an unhappy relationship and she hasn't technically broken up with her boyfriend and she, you know, when the boyfriend's not looking, messes around with you. And, you know, there you could say, well, look, this relationship was on its way out. It's not up to me to police their relationship. You know, I, I have nothing to do with this. That's, that's not what was going on with Devilfish. He was just groping women who didn't want it, who didn't indicate in any way they wanted it. As you guys know from hearing me on the show, I'm the farthest thing you'll find from a feminist. But but I can understand why these women felt like he was extremely disrespectful to them. I personally knew a woman who was in Vegas for the first time in her life. She was from Montana. Had a, a dream about how Vegas would be. Was at a party where Devilfish was, and uh, by the time she left, she was crying because of his actions towards her. She was traumatized by it. This girl was married, by the way. Her husband wasn't with her, but she wasn't trying to mess around on him. So this guy's just not a good person. This guy did a lot of things that were not very nice to people. Very inconsiderate, very selfish. Uh... And being entertaining doesn't excuse those things. And for those, I'm not saying he deserved to die. I'm not saying I'm applauding the fact that he's dead. I'm saying I'm not going to come out there and say, what a great guy. Wow, what a loss. Wow, so sad. To me, it is only sad if a decent person dies. Not someone who lived his life with complete disregard for everyone else and harmed a lot of people. You know, it always baffles me, you know, there'll be people in life who, if they were still alive, you'd be hard-pressed to find a bunch of people that would voluntarily speak so highly of them. But once they pass away, all these people seem to come out of the woodwork with all these nice things to say. But it's like, why? Just because the person passed away? Like, where, where were you before? I never heard any of this stuff before. Yeah, that happens too. A lot of people just like to hear themselves talk when someone passes away. They either want to demonstrate that they were part of that person's life or they they want to come off as sensitive and have people believe that they care. And it looks bad for you to come out and bash someone who's dead. In the chat room right now, Real Talk says, LOL, Druff hating on a dead guy. And that's the one thing I feel bad about is that I didn't say this stuff while he was still alive just because I didn't think of him for a while. That's the only reason. Like I wasn't afraid to say it. I just – I didn't think of him for a while. Well, because in your defense, he, I think he's been pretty like irrelevant in the poker scene in recent times. I mean, I think he's one of these guys that benefited from timing. And I think a reason why a lot of these people are saying these things and feel this connection to him is because I think he was one of those you know, featured TV characters during the poker boom. So people look back. They had good feelings about those times. They kind of look back like nostalgically, you know, like yeah. back when poker was good and the games were good and everything was all good and online poker was booming. And they look back at the characters who were, you know, part of that time. You know, there's some people back then who aren't even necessarily very good players, but they were featured prominently on TV and they had kind of charismatic personalities. So maybe they're kind of hyped up a little more than they, they would be in today's day and age. Yeah. Now, by the way, here's a uh, a clip of Tony G and Devilfish at the table. This is from a number of years ago, and and even though it appears that they hate each other in this clip, uh, they actually ended up as good friends. I don't know if it was before or after this. This may have been some of an act in that they were already friends, but uh, it's also possible they became friends later. But they 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 had been friends for a long time. Yeah, you know, between yeah, you know, I'd say at least 2007 and now. But here's here is a 
minute or so clip. Did you hear that? He must be due to win one. He's got some positive energy for once. Fishy does. Four or five is disaster. It's over. I guess this is an all-in between Devilfish and Tony G. <laughs> I mean, and uh, Tony G <laughs> wins. <laughs> I am the greatest. You won that against me. I am the greatest. I'm not surprised. I just want to win again. That's Tony G talking. You win first out again. That was an even money. Oh, you found your big gob again now. <laughs> oh, I'm allowed to. I know when I beat you. I mean, even playing so passively, you're scared of everyone. You haven't made any moves. Easy with have King Jack. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's got the heart to win this. The heart and commitment to the game. None of you here have any heart. I've been watching you guys. It's embarrassing. Everyone, except myself, is the only one that's made a move. And I'm not pretending. Well, actually, both of you made moves when you had no chips left. You guys got fives. You're shaking. You're folding them. It's sick. I called you a freezer. Yeah. Call me with threes again. You know, the sooner they drag you back in the fucking water, the better. You fucking fat idiot. Let's get on with it. So that was Devilfish at the end there going, a, a fucking fat idiot. Now, they, they couldn't play this on, on U.S. TV. They'd have to bleep it. But, uh, but people like lines like that. But uh, as soon as they drag you back in the water, you fucking fat idiot. So people liked how he had this foul mouth. He was brash. He just said what was on his mind. He, he insulted people. And, and people liked that. And people thought, oh, what a funny character. What an interesting character. What, and, and you're right. A lot of these people, this was their first introduction to poker. And this is what they remember from the heyday of poker. And in all fairness, Tony G's no saint himself. No, no, he's not. I'm not and you know, a lot of this may have been played up for the camera. Like, I've heard stories that, you know, Umberto Brennis and his whole, like, shark spiel. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that was, like, really encouraged and put on by the television production companies of the poker tournament, that he wasn't necessarily like that before the poker boom, but they encouraged this type of stuff because it was, you know, good product for their... No, their it definitely... I've played with him before at the World Series several times, and he's very quiet, actually. He's quiet and very tight. <laughs> so he's a very tight player. If Humberto is coming over on you, he's, he's going to have the nuts. It's amazing how, you know, people's image based on their TV appearances in poker can actually, you know, vary drastically from their, you know, their actual style of play for the most part. Yeah. So, look... I think it's important everybody knows both sides of, of what Devilfish was. People can know the good sides of him, that he was charismatic, that he was good for poker on TV, that he may have brought people I- into the game, that people enjoyed being at the table with him for the most part, but they, they also need to know the bad sides, his criminal history, pretty serious criminal history, to be honest, and, and the fact that he just was completely disrespectful to women and completely disrespectful even to other men who were with women that he liked. And that uh, this is a very selfish character who made a lot of people uh, suffer in one way or another. So you got to remember that too. You shouldn't whitewash someone's memory just because they died. Now, as I said, it's it's not like you should nitpick somebody after they die and and try to find an overall decent person, try to find little things they did that weren't good. And, and make sure everyone knows it. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to die without some kind of baggage or something that they shouldn't have done or something that they might be ashamed of. I'm not saying you should drag that out about every person who dies. I'm just saying when you come out and talk about how sad something is, especially a relative stranger, I understand Devilfish's son mourning him or his close friends. Because you know, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, if he has people that really cared about him, of course they're going to be sad. And of course they should come out and say nice things about him. I'm talking about strangers, people like you and I, 
we don't really know Devilfish very well. I, I've met him before, obviously, but I, I don't know him well. And I don't think strangers should be mourning him like he was some wonderful person, because he wasn't. I think strangers should be presenting an a- accurate picture of what he was, or saying nothing. It's fine to say nothing, too. But I was a little bit turned off by seeing what was being said. I even posted on someone's Facebook who was mourning him. And I I deleted the post very fast because I saw in that thread was one of Devilfish's relatives. I'm like, you know, it's hard when you lose a relative no matter what. I don't want that person reading bad things about Devilfish. Like I, I didn't want to make it harder on that person about Devilfish's death than in the death already was. So I didn't want to rub salt in that wound. So I quickly deleted my post within seconds. But I have no problem on this show or on this site telling you how I really feel. Let's see what the chat room says further about this. Uh, Grow Million says, Poker is filled with shady characters. Devil was just one more RIP. Well, he has real talk saying, didn't know Druff was a feminist now. I'm not. That, you know, that's what I'm trying to say. I, I'm never coming out and calling out guys for you know, sleeping with too many women or, or whatever it is or you know, you know, have degrading thoughts about women. I, I, I'm not one of those people. But I think every man needs to at least respect a woman enough to not touch them when they want to be touched. You don't just go up to random women and grab them. And you well, and that should be just across the board with, you know, just any people, you know, yeah. I'm big on, you know, respecting, you know, personal privacy and personal space like that. That seems like a pretty basic thing to me. Like if he was doing that, like you described, then like that really says a lot about his his character, lack thereof. Yeah. And, and you also don't do it, especially to a woman who's with a man, whether she's physically with him at the moment or not physically. You, you just don't do that. You you don't do that either way, but you especially don't do that when she's already taken and uh yeah, that's just basic respect, as you said, for one human being to another. It's not about being a feminist, and I'm not a feminist, but that was pretty bad, and and that part of him needs to be remembered because he did it, and I saw it. I saw him do it, and others saw him do it. Ask around, ask around anyone who's been with Devilfish, especially socially, if they witnessed these things happening, they will tell you yes. They will tell you yes, and it happened many times. All right, so. Just wanted to give like kind of the other side of the uh, devilfish eulogizing. Here's someone who will not be eulogized when he eventually kicks the bucket. Christian Lusardi, the Borgata chip counterfeiter, has been sentenced. Now, this is the guy, a moron, by the way, who made counterfeit chips through the Alibaba website for the Borgata. Uh, Amazingly under his own name, actually posted a public question about having those chips made. before. Hey, there's, a, there's a reason he probably has to be a criminal. Yeah. <laughs> and then took the chips there, gave himself a gigantic stack that he snuck into his stack over time, was the day one chip leader, uh, cashed in the event. Then he found himself with a lot of extra counterfeit chips that he never used. They weren't even very good counterfeits either, but uh, he found himself with a lot of extra chips. He brought too many. So you're in Atlantic City. What do you do to get rid of those extra chips that you still have in your hotel room? 
He was staying at Harrah's, by the way. The, the event was at Borgata, but he was staying at Harrah's in Atlantic City. What do you do with the chips? Do you uh, maybe drive down to a local fast food place and, and dump this in, in their dumpster outside or even drop it just in their trash can? Toss it in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. go to the ocean and take take a little boat out there and uh, you know drop it off the side. Just take a little, you know, go on a little fishing boat one day, pretend you want to go fishing, and just drop this off the side when no one's looking. Uh, maybe with some rocks in it, so it really sinks. No, he decided it was smart to flush all the chips down the Harris toilet, <laughs> and then the toilet backed up. And then they called plumbers down there to solve the backup, found the chips in there, realized where the chips came from, reported to the police, and he was arrested. (laughs) So uh, he has been sentenced. And something interesting here in the report, he was sentenced for two things, actually. He was sentenced both for that and for counterfeiting DVDs. He's a very big uh, very big on counterfeiting, this guy. This guy loves to counterfeit. So he manufactured and sold counterfeit DVDs. I don't know where. And he also was, you know, did this thing with the Borgata in January of 2014. So he ended up being sentenced to five years in prison and was fined $1.1 million dollars <coughs> For what he did here uh, It was determined though That uh, he received over 1.3 million in his PayPal Selling these counterfeit DVDs I mean he was He made a lot of money on this uh, In a two year period And so I don't know what he He must have done this on the internet But he got 1.3 million in his PayPal I don't know why he was only forced to pay 1.1 million restitution Maybe that was all he had But uh, they he had to sell a lot of his possessions and uh, apparently to sell this. But this is this is from the Wilmington, North Carolina, U.S. Attorney's Office. This is a statement. By the way, I'm hearing noise in the background. What is, what is that this time? Shouldn't shouldn't be anything. I'm just sitting here on the computer. So weird. I think your house might be haunted. <laughs> All right. Well, that'd be okay. first. W- Wilmington, North Carolina, U.S. Attorney's Office said this. U.S. States Attorney, United States Attorney, U.S. States, United States Attorney Thomas J. Walker announced that in federal court on March 30, 2015, Judge James C. Fox sentenced Christian Patrick Lusardi, age 43, of Fayetteville, North Carolina, to 60 months, meaning five years, in prison and three years of supervised release for copyright infringement and trafficking in counterfeit labels. Lusardi was offered to pay... Oh, no, offered, ordered to pay $1.137 million restitution. Lusardi previously pled guilty to these charges on September 2nd, 2014. Investigation revealed that several boxes of counterfeit DVDs mailed from China were intercepted by the National Intellectual Property Rights Coordination Center. I wonder if it's from Alibaba, too. And, and Customs Border Protection. The boxes of counterfeit DVDs were controlled delivered to the identified address. Shortly after the controlled delivery was complete, agents made contact with Lusardi, which resulted in subsequent search of Lusardi's residence. The search resulted in the discovery of over 35,500 counterfeit DVDs. Investigation revealed that between 2010 and 2012, Lusardi was in the business of receiving, manufacturing, and selling counterfeit DVDs in both the United States and Canada. It was determined that Lusardi received over $1.3 million in his PayPal account during this period. 
The investigation of this case was conducted by the Department of Homeland Security and the United States Postal Inspection Service. So, what's missing here? They mentioned nothing about what he did at the Borgata. But yet, this was a, uh, a plea deal. And... Um, they what they actually did was they dropped the case for the Borgata in favor of uh, pursuing the DVD pirating case. And it's thought that maybe this was done. Like, why would they drop that? Why not prosecute that too? Uh, it was thought that uh, they may not have been able to get additional penalties for the Borgata matter. So they focus, decided just to focus on the uh, the DVD. I don't know why that is, but that's one of the theories is that uh, they just went for the bigger case. Almost like if, uh, as an extreme example, but if someone was caught uh, pirating DVDs and jaywalking, they, they dropped the jaywalking and, and just focused on the bigger thing. So they, they decided the DVD was bigger, which it was. If he sold you know, over a million dollars of counterfeit DVDs, yeah, that's worse than what he did with the poker tournament. Maybe not worse for us as poker players, but worse on a grand scale. Yeah, I think like economically worse, but like I actually think like morally worse, like cheating the poker players is probably slightly worse yeah. than, you know, maybe costing the recording industry like a, a small I, amount. I, ag- I agree that one's a lot more offensive than the other, but uh, yeah, as far as prosecuting him you know, legally, I think this one was bigger. So, uh, so, so that's it. They've dropped the case officially about Borgata, but they, they would not have dropped it had this not existed. So it's not like they dropped it for lack of evidence or because they just didn't feel like prosecuting. They, they supposedly dropped this because they already had this counterfeit DVD case and, uh, and decided to go forward with that, and it was a plea deal. So, so it, it looks like to me that they went to Lusardi and said, look, we've got you dead to rights on both things. If you make a guilty plea for the DVD thing, then we will drop the Borgata thing and we'll get you a sentence that's lesser than what you could have gotten otherwise. Does it say in that article anywhere how much of that $1.1 million he's paid or is actually able to pay? Uh, it's, it's that his assets are subject to forfeiture as part of the deal. Because a lot of these criminals, they get these huge fines, but in reality, like, they're never going to be able to pay them back. Yeah, well, well that's what they're going to do here. Whatever he has left, I don't know what it is, but they're, they're going to take all his assets that they can and sell them off and, and, uh, and pay that back. And I, I don't know who's going to get this $1.1 million. It's not going to be anyone in poker because this plea had nothing to do with poker. This plea had to do with DVDs. They actually dropped the poker part of it to go after the DVD thing. So this may actually go to the companies whose intellectual property he stole, which, as you said, they're large companies. It's not going to really benefit any individuals. Just make their rich even richer, these large companies. So I I guess he also sold these uh, DVDs at at local flea markets (laughs) in his own area. So uh, he seems to like these these Asian black market wholesalers. He not only did he get the chips made there, but he apparently got these DVDs made there as well. Uh, he also had a DVD burning tower, and he had a shrink wrap machine and a heat gun. So he he had a little uh, underground manufacturing enterprise 
of these uh, pirated DVDs. I didn't even know about this until I read this article. I thought it was only like the poker thing they were after him for. But apparently they, they judged the DVD thing to be the bigger of the two cases, and they dropped one for him to plead guilty for the other. So you can't say he escaped justice because there probably wouldn't have been the same plea deal if the poker thing didn't exist. But this is kind of common, actually, where they get a criminal on two separate things and they get him to plead guilty by dropping one of the things. That uh, you got to give the criminal an incentive to plead guilty because it's uh, when you plead guilty, you have a 0% chance of getting off for it. When you try to fight it, you always have a small chance at least a small chance of getting off though. So, and it saves, you know, all the time and resources that would be tied up in our court system. Yeah. So it's probably worthwhile for them just to kind of streamline the whole thing. Yeah. Now I, again, I don't know how much of the 1.1 million he's going to end up paying or it, it's restitution. It's not actually a fine. I called it a fine. It's really restitution. I mean, he's going to the uh, DVD manufacturers or, or intellectual property holders of, of the DVDs that he stole. It's, it's too bad that they couldn't have made some of the restitution to the poker players, but it looks like the whole matter was dropped. So. Yeah, because they're probably the ones who were like affected the most by it. Although yeah. it'd be really hard to calculate, you know, going back after the fact. But yeah. By the way, I didn't receive any phone calls as I s- take a look at my list of no, I didn't get one from. Yeah, where's per- bad guy at? Well, don't forget him, the the four one zero area, <laughs> who's going to call in about wsp dot com, unless he's oh. waiting for eleven o'clock Pacific. <laughs> he said he's calling at eleven o'clock Eastern. It's now eleven twenty five Eastern at the moment. So well, we'll probably be long gone by eleven Pacific. I know yeah. I will be. Yeah, I will be too. He can still call in if he wants to, Mr. 410 area code. TMLK, if you want to call in, I give a shout-out to Poker Pete and whatever you want to do. He says, uh, I can't even save this. This is horrid. Well, give it a try. Go ahead, TMLK, call in. Give it yeah, a shot. Yeah, I'd like to. Uh, it's been a while since we've heard from yeah, him. We haven't heard from you. Go ahead and call in. All right. Let's. Uh, in the meantime, while we're waiting for whoever that wants to call, let's go on to... Barry Shulman and his penthouse condo that he's trying to sell. This article says from the Las Vegas Review Journal says Las Vegas's premier poker couple. I think it's going a bit far. Barry and Alan Shulman. By this Alan A L Y N. This is a woman. It's not a gay couple. Uh, decided to go all in and build a Louis the Fourteenth inspired three floor penthouse in the metropolis referring to Las Vegas. And the result is stunning. Is it just me? Or do you like hate the terrible poker puns in like articles like this? I hate them. Like I, the I, go all in. Like yes. that's so it's all hackneyed and it's overplayed awful. throughout the penthouse. The theme is 17th century France columns, chandeliers and wall sconces are everywhere. Even in closets and baths, most of the walls are covered in fabric and rope trim framed with wood molding and 18 karat gold leaf filigree to achieve an old world look both Shulman's are world series of poker winners and have bracelets to prove it she is an attorney he's a formal sierra former seattle realtor who owns card player media they met at a poker tournament at the orleans she is a terrible player but cute barry said she's a fabulous but she's a fabulous student so he's saying like he made her a better poker player Barry bought the unit in 2003 before construction began on the art deco style building on desert inn road near paradise Oh, that's not the best area, Desert Inn in Paradise. I, I can tell you that's that's already considered East Las Vegas, like the eastern part of Las Vegas, and most things east of the Strip suck. They, let me tell you, Desert Inn and Paradise, that was a good place to live 
like in the mid seventies. That's when they had a lot of these high rise buildings over there with a doorman, and that, that was where you, you you lived in one of those high rises over there with a doorman, and oftentimes like a restaurant on the ground floor. And and you bring a chick back there in nineteen seventy five, she's going to be impressed, and and you're going to get laid. But uh, not so much anymore. It's it's not a very good area anymore. Not awful, but not a very good area. But nonetheless, they I guess it's a new complex they built as the real estate boom was ramping up big in Las Vegas in 2003. I'm not a condo person, Alan said, but when he bought the roof, that did it for me. It was finished in 2006. It's one of three units on the top floor of the building and only only one with a rooftop deck, which covers the entire building. Access to the upper floors is via an ornate winding iron staircase, which if the penthouse were a movie would be one of its main characters. So I'm I'm not going to go on and read the whole thing, but I will read this part. The third floor houses a large home theater with a formal velvet drape covering the screen. The screen. Candlelit crystal wall sconches, a, covered, a coffered ceiling with recessed halogen lights, and comfortable recliners are arranged around a handmade rug on the, tra- on the travertine tile floor. At the back is a bar, popcorn machine, and powder room. Why do you need a powder room if you're going to watch a movie? I, I don't know, but... The theater's walls are covered in hunter green silk, damask fabric, and anchored by double rows of rope trim. The couple entertain their friends and family there sometimes watching the World Series of Poker final table. All right. So, as you can imagine, this was very expensive. They spent $7 million decorating this thing. So, they bought the condo. Uh, I'm not sure how much he bought it for. Did it say that? Whatever he bought it for in 2003, I don't think it says it, but he spent more than $7 million decorating it after that with all these things I described. So what really bothers me about this story, and people are mainly criticizing this for his taste in decorating. People say it's gaudy, it's ugly totally overdone looks like something a a rich person with no taste would put together and i i actually think that that criticism is a little more harsh than it deserves it is gaudy it is uh, overdone but i i think that uh some of these people are speaking more from jealousy like oh i, I could never afford anything like this so i'm going to find a reason to hate on it i i think the bigger problem here much bigger problem is that somebody who could afford this? I had no idea that Barry Shulman had this much money to sink seven million dollars into decorating alone. That's crazy. If you can sink seven million dollars into decorating a condo, then why the hell were you running lock poker ads when you knew that lock poker was cheating people? Now, admittedly, card player was a shell of its former self by that point. Card player was not the juggernaut that it was in the mid-2000s. By the time the lock poker scandal occurred, card player uh, was really irrelevant. And, and most of the lucrative ads that they had from online poker sites in the past were, were gone. So a company like Lock, yeah, they needed them. But this, again, is a guy who had $7 million to spend on this condo. Obviously, a guy with tons of money, and whatever Locke was paying him, he didn't need the money. I'm not even saying that it's right to run Locke ads if you do need the money. It's not. It's still leading the lambs to the slaughter. It's still, in my opinion, being an accomplice to theft. But 
Here they had a ton of money in this family, and they were so greedy that they would not take down these ads for a company that was stealing from people. I personally told Jeff Shulman, Barry's son, about the lock situation when I was sitting with him at a poker table in May of 2013. And he told you he would look into that, yes, correct? If yes, I remember correctly. Yes. So well, I said to, I explained it to Jeff. He, he I said, "Do you hear about? Have you heard about Locke? Uh, no. You haven't heard? No, no. What is it? So I, at this point, I know the conversation's off to a bad start because I, I know Jeff Shulman's not that ignorant. But I, I, I humored him. I told him the story. I didn't go on and on and either. I, I just gave him the bullet points. And he said, "Hmm, sounds like full tilt all over again." I said, "Exactly, full tilt all over again. That's what it is." He says, "All right, well, I'll look into it." Locke continued to run the card player ads for at least nine more months following that conversation. And I'm sure Jeff was very aware of it before because I was not the first one to bring it up to him. But just to be sure he fully understood, just to be sure that he was fully made aware, I told him personally, and for more than nine months, these ads still ran on CardPlayer and CardPlayer.com. Just so these rich people could get richer. This wasn't so Barry Shulman could keep food on the table or keep a roof over his head which would still be wrong. This was so he could buy more gold leaf for his condo. Whatever the hell that did. wool over their eyes was itchy. Oh, I mean, it, it, apparently it wasn't itchy at all. They, they were, they, they, they put big time wool there and they seem to enjoy having it there. I mean, it, this just disgusts me to see this. When you have this much money, you don't need to squeeze every penny out of advertising scam websites at least at least have a conscience at that point at least say hey i don't need the money so screw lock poker i'm not gonna i'm not gonna aid and abet their scam i'm kicking their ads off because i one it's the right thing to do and two i don't need their money yeah card players not doing anywhere nearly as well as it used to but i have a lot of money because i made a ton during the time when it was but I think sometimes people who get used to making a lot of money, like I don't know how much cash Barry Shulman has. I don't know how much uh, cash Jeff Shulman has. But you know, I think maybe they were spending like the money was going to keep rolling in like that. So maybe they are cash poor. Maybe that's why they're selling it. Maybe that's why he felt he needed to keep running these lock poker ads because he needed some kind of cash income to come in to support the lifestyle that he had built for himself. But at that point, instead of running ads for scam sites, you say, okay, well, fortunately, I still have this very expensive condo that I can sell and move into a more reasonable place, and now, wow, I'll suddenly have cash again. That's what a good person would do. And by the way, whenever, whenever anyone brings up lock poker to Barry Shulman when he plays poker, he calls the floor man over and says he's being harassed and the people are told to leave him alone. Really? Is that like when you were going to get penalized for talking to Phil about UB? Yes, except uh, the difference is Phil didn't ask them to do it. They just did it on their own. But uh, but yes, Phil didn't exactly say, oh, no, no, it's fine. Let him keep doing it. But Phil didn't say, you know, hey, can you stop him? But in this case, Jeff, not Jeff, uh, Barry says, hey, this guy's bothering me. Can you make him leave me alone? So... Anyway, that's very, very disturbing to read about them having a place like this while they're running lock poker ads. Yeah, there's a lot. It seems to me like there's a lot of people in this industry who haven't really adjusted to the new poker climate and still 
continue to live like well beyond their means and it's catching up to them either that or they just, you know, do shady things to continue their, their lifestyle. Like kind of like, you know, the example you always made of Joe Seabock and, you know, his Hermosa Beach lifestyle with, with the UB thing. Yes. And you remember when he was crushing hella grape? Yeah. <laughs> that was actually at a, out of town that's like only probably like half an hour from where I live. Oh, really? <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, the, the was only, it like Geyserville or something? Yeah, the, the only place I've ever like stayed, by the way, in the 707 area was in Petaluma. I stayed for one night. Okay, yeah. I know Petaluma. That's probably like an hour and 20 minutes from where I live. Yeah, that's the only place I ever stayed in your area. So, okay, let's uh, let's move on here. I just thought it was worth mentioning. People keep asking who's the co-host, and someone says some guy named Grant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm a nobody, just a long-time listener of the show. I did randomly meet Joe Seabock in an airport one time, totally unrelated to poker, though, like in Florida. I remember, like, seeing him there. This was back when, like, Poker Road was going on. So it was, like, him and one of the other, like, Poker Road – hosts that I, I just saw and recognized. So I, I went, I went up and talked to him. This is before like the whole UB thing it was kind of random. Oh, you, oh really? Hmm. Okay. So, uh, you know, as far as the price of this condo and you give the description of it, it sounds like it's not even that bad of a buy, but of course uh, you, you have to appreciate their decorating at least to some degree or be willing to spend the money to completely redo it, which would be expensive. All right, uh, let's see the next topic here. Oh, this is one I know Jay Stat will enjoy. He may not agree with me, but he'll enjoy the topic at least. A pro poker player has been banned from the World Series of Poker for blackjack card counting at the Horseshoe Baltimore. And when I first heard this story, I felt bad for the guy and... I was kind of angry at Caesars for doing this, and it hit home to me. But then it didn't as much anymore when I learned more about it. So let me give you the background here. A pro poker player named Joe Steers from Maryland was banned from the World Series and from all Caesars properties. He's banned. He can't sit foot in them. That's it. There were news stories about this, but he finally got tired of the news stories being incorrect in his opinion. So he came to 2 Plus 2 and made his own statement, which strangely enough made me think worse of him by the time I finished reading his statement. Usually when someone makes their own statement to clarify things, it's to make you understand their side and so you think better of them. In this case, I actually thought worse of him after reading his statement just because he filled in blanks, and once those blanks were filled in, I understood Caesar's point a lot more. He said, I am posting this video, he posted a video talking about it too, to give the full and honest truth about how easily this happened to me at the Horseshoe Casino in Baltimore and to warn other players who might consider trying to play blackjack well. That's a code for card counting, by the way, play blackjack well. I also made this video to correct some of the inaccuracies quoted in the Baltimore Sun article. Here is the full and complete timeline of events between myself, Horseshoe Baltimore Caesars, and the Maryland Gaming Authority. I believe in honesty and transparency, and I wish Caesars would practice these same values. 
I feel these issues should have been easy to resolve. From May 27, 2014 to July 14, 2014, I am playing in Las Vegas for the World Series of Poker. August 2014, Horseshoe Baltimore opens its doors. It's a new property. September 17, 2014, I stopped by Horseshoe Baltimore for the first time in my drive back from playing a World, World Poker Tour event in Atlantic City and make $8,700 at Blackjack playing for less than 30 minutes. Again, he does not deny counting cards. It's, it's clear that he made this money counting cards. Again, not a crime. This by itself, I, I can understand why he ends up getting banned from the casino, but not. Uh, you know, I, I kind of think it's crappy to ban him from the World Series, but that's a lot more to the story than that. September 30th, 13 days later, a friend of mine wants to go to Horseshoe, so I return and lose 9,800 playing blackjack. The poker games aren't very good, and I decide I'm probably not going to return. November 2014, now about a month later, I start receiving large cash offers from Horseshoe to return and play at the casino in my mail and email. The first booklet is $270 in match play offers every six days of the month of November. Additional bonus offers accrue for showing up on Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. I ignore those offers, and the offers increase the next month to $475 each for the month of September. December 12th, I return to Horseshoe to start playing the free $475 match plays. Since I am home for the holidays anyway, I stop by on December 12th, 13th, 18th, and 19th to play my free plays. I lose over $5,000 at Blackjack, and I never play for more than about an hour. So he ran his free play, but then just played Blackjack again, like the card counting, and lost. By the way, for those of you that don't know, in the movies when someone card counts, they're like a guaranteed winner. That's not how it really works. When you card count, you have about a 51-49 edge over the casino. So you can easily lose. Huge variance. Yeah, huge variance in this. So it's one of these things that over time, given enough hands, you will be a winner. And even in the short term, at least the odds are in your favor. But it doesn't mean you're a guaranteed winner and there you will be bad sessions like he's describing. I also don't know if he's a good card counter. He could be one that's doing wrong things, but that's not important here. The first incident occurred December 19, 2014. I show up around 2 p.m. and play a $475 match play on the first 12 bet on roulette. That's when you're betting that it's going to be 1 through 12 on the roulette spin. It spins the number 10 and I win, but they tell me they cannot pay out because the match play is only valid on even money bets. So, you know, on the first 12 bet, you get paid. Uh, uh, basically, you win uh, two times what you bet. So if, if you bet $10, you win $20 because there's a little bit less than a 1 in 3 chance you're going to win it. In the fine print on the back of the coupon, it does state this, so I don't argue. And that's true. That's pretty standard. They did allow me to bet it and waited until after I won not to pay out on it, though. The Maryland regulation site specifically states that first 12 is a valid bet for match play coupons. I'm not sure if this means it's an illegal coupon or not, but either way, they shouldn't allow me to use it and wait until I I win to tell me it's an invalid bet. Well, I don't know if they were intentionally doing this or uh, if it just came time to pay and they uh, noticed this. They kind of just weren't paying attention until after he won. Uh, Believe it or not, if he lost, he he should have had a right to take it back. But uh, since he didn't lose, we don't know. But this is a a small issue here. He's just mentioning this because he's trying to trash the horseshoe. I moved on to the blackjack tables and then to a different roulette table where I had the first real encounter with the floor people at horseshoe telling me that I had to leave. They refused to tell me why, but did not say I was not allowed back. I gave a manager named Hong my email and phone number to get back to me about what was going on, and he never did. I followed up with the Maryland Gaming Authority. 
I don't know why he was following up with them. Like, so the point is, they they told him you need to leave, but they didn't say you can't come back. And they, this does yeah, happen. They didn't eighty six him. Yeah. they just wanted him to leave that time. And this does happen. They they do have that where they'll kick you out for the day for whatever reason, but they won't ban you from coming back at the moment. That doesn't mean that they necessarily want you there. It just means they're not going through the additional step of telling you never to come back and uh, going through all that formality. Now, this is eight days later. December 27, 2014, major incident. I return to the horseshoe around 1 p.m. because I hear they have a pretty good poker tournament on Saturdays. First, I go to the promotions booth where they invited me to show up on that specific day and re- receive $180 in free Best Buy gift cards. I received the gift cards upon showing them my total rewards card and went upstairs to buy into the poker tournament for $350. I received an alternate seat, meaning I had to wait for someone else to get knocked out to play, so I played blackjack for 10 minutes without any problems and made $550. I came back to the poker room my seat was available. I played for a little over an hour and was doing pretty well when three guys in suits showed up and told me I had to leave the casino. I told them I was in the middle of the tournament, which I paid for and had chips. One of the guys responded, these are my chips, and took them. They didn't offer me a refund for the buy-in, which still would have been far less than my chip value at the time. I refused to leave because they were stealing from me and I had every right to the seat I paid for. They brought in a security guy, Darren Griffin, who tried to physically push me out of the room. I resisted being forcefully pushed out from the seat I paid for, but made sure not to put my hands on him. He kept trying to push me out of the room, so I lost my balance and fell down twice. That seemed to get him to stop assaulting me, so I returned to my poker seat and waited for the police. I think Vlade Divac would be proud of this guy's flopping ability. (laughs) He's getting pushed. He's like, you know, I'm just going to fall down and scare them. So that's what he did. Anyway, uh, again, no one at the casino would tell me any reason why I was being asked to leave. Darren Griffin took over the operation with the police and made statements that I know are false. First, he said that I'd already been told I could not come back to the horseshoe, which isn't true. I was never told not to return when I was asked to leave on 1219. They also didn't seem to have any idea why they were kicking me out on 1219. Of course they did. What does that mean? Uh, He said that Horseshoe was banning me from all Caesars properties, including Atlantic City and Las Vegas. I thought he had no authority to do this, especially since it's not legal in New Jersey to bar people for no reason. Uh, That's partially true. In New Jersey, you can't bar people for someone for being an advantage player, but you can bar them for other reasons. But that's Yeah, they just they just changed the game so that it's pretty much unbeatable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so okay, let, let's stop right here and talk about this December twenty seventh thing. First of all, eight days earlier, they just kicked you out and won't tell you why. So get out, goodbye, we're not telling you why. Is it wise to walk back in and register for a poker tournament when you don't know your status there? What if you make the final table and say, Hey, you're not allowed here? You need to make sure in this situation, that they are okay with you coming back before you play a long poker tournament. This isn't like you're going to go back and play blackjack and, uh, um, you know, if they kick you out in the middle, they're legally required to cash you out, which they are. This is a poker tournament where they they can boot you at any time. Now, no question they had to refund his buy-in, and we'll get to that later, but they, you know, they were wrong at the horseshoe to refuse to give back his buy-in. That's ridiculous that they think they can confiscate his buy-in. But... First of all, if they say you need to leave their property, you don't get in a physical altercation with them. That's just stupid. You, you let them kick you. You argue, but if they, if they won't back down, you leave, and then you go after them for this later if you think you were illegally kicked out in any way. You don't, you don't physically stand there and force them to push you out. That's, that's very, very bad to do. Uh, he's lucky it wasn't worse than just being uh, pushed and then falling on the floor intentionally. 
But, uh, yeah, they made him leave eventually through the police. And uh, so, okay, this occurred on December 27th. So by this point, there's no question he's not allowed there anymore. He, he said on the 19th, they just said you have to leave for the day, which I believe. I think his story is probably true. But now on the 27th, even he admits that they said you're not allowed to ever come back here or anywhere for Caesars. And the only questionable part is New Jersey, whether they can do that there. But other than that, at the very least, you know he's not welcome back at the horseshoe. So if this happens to you on December 27th, uh, what do you do in the future regarding Horseshoe Baltimore? Uh, do you ever come back there? No. No, I, I don't either. And uh, I certainly don't come back and register for some kind of game where they could kick you out and refund you not accordingly. You know, it's yeah. not like a table game where you just get your chips and leave. Like in a tournament, you have weird equities that they could not properly compensate you for yeah. and you're just kind of stuck. Yeah, that's that's very true. And But but after that occurs, after you get kicked out of that tournament and then kicked out of the whole place and told you can't come back very clearly and the police are involved, do you ever come back after that? Do you ever even think of coming back after that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't no. personally. So would you believe that uh, this is on December 27th? Would you believe just eight days later on January 4th, he decides it's wise to return? I wouldn't believe that because it, this guy sounds like he's kind of going out of his way to find confrontation, or at least he's not trying to avoid it at yeah. all. So, so after this whole incident on the 27th of December of 2013, on January 4th, 2014, eight days later again, Seems like every eight days he has a Jones to screw with the horseshoe. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, He says, I returned to the horseshoe because they sent me a new booklet of offers for January. (laughs) Come on. Come on. So you you get a marketing uh, packet from them in the mail a week later, and you think that means all is forgiven, you can come back? Come on. That's tied into some automated computer system that yeah. probably has no idea about this or hasn't been updated or hasn't had time to take effect. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, this led me to believe that the previous incident was an egregious error and they wouldn't offer me $470 to show up if I were banned. Unless well, poor judgment. <laughs> so the, he didn't really think that. He, he, he used this as a what he thought was a loophole to get back in. He thought he was being so clever that after they kick him out and kick him out of the tournament where he had better than an average equity and, and didn't want to refund his money and he's pissed at them and he's, ah, ha ha, they just invited me back accidentally with their automated mailer. Well, now they can't do anything about it because now they've just said I can come back. So when they try to kick me out again, I'll go, ah, 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 you invited me back. Ha ha ha. That, that supersedes uh, you're telling me I can't come back. So he thought he was being so clever here. So he, he didn't believe this was an egregious error and they realized it. And, and somehow they did this and sent him the offer within a week. So uh, he says, they lowered my match play by $5 from 475 to 470 which seems strange since $5 is irrelevant. This wasn't making sense, and I figured I would give it another shot. Why? Why does that not make sense? I would give it another shot and stay entirely away from blackjack since I'm somewhat confident the issue is that they think I'm a card counter. They think he's a card counter. All right. I play craps with my match play for about 25 minutes and leave without a problem. So here he actually gets away with it. Uh, I, I don't know how he pulls this off without uh, the, the, some red flags coming up when he gives a total rewards card, which you have to do with these match play things, but uh, somehow it doesn't. However, five days later, he decides to come back again. July, uh, January, oh, by the way, I, I was uh, when I said 14, it was 15. He wrote 14, but uh, he really meant 15. So it, this was... We're talking about this past January now. I made the mistake because he made the mistake. January 9th, 2015, just uh, 
five days later, criminal trespassing charge. A friend of mine invites me to go to Horseshoe to play craps. Once again, I have a match play invite for the date offering $470. We find a craps table and play for five minutes and do very poorly. I give them my comp card alerting them up there. They have no issues taking my money. I lose $700 and my friend loses 440 We go to the Diamond Lounge to grab a beer and relax. Police officers and security ambush me in the Diamond Lounge and take me to the security room. In the security room, Horseshoe finally and for the first time tries to address why I was banned, but it felt like they were just making up nonsense. First, they said I was drunk on December 23rd and falling on the floor making a scene. (laughs) I told them I had no drinks and Darren Griffin had pushed me to the floor and when I requested those tapes and requested those tapes be preserved. Then the Horseshoe people reconvened somewhere else while I sat with the police. Horseshoe personnel came back and told me I had been barred from all Caesars properties when I was at the link in Las Vegas in July 2014, which isn't true at all. It is important to note that the Horseshoe had no information about the link until this very day, January 9th, when they obtained my license without my permission from the Baltimore police and the Horseshoe scanned for prior incidents. Now, why didn't they have his license from before when he gave a total rewards card? Like, a, like he doesn't understand that you give this information to Caesars to get your card and then they can trade it amongst all their properties. That's totally allowed. Uh, so I don't think it was from the police. Uh, I'm fairly certain that giving my driver's license to horseshoe personnel without my permission is illegal. Equally important, on July 14th, now you're probably thinking, what, July 14th? This story started way after that. Well, apparently there's a backstory to this. <laughs> Equally important, on July 14th, I was banned from the link, this is in Las Vegas, and only the link, for playing six to five blackjack with a known card counter. <laughs> Now, for those of you that don't know, six to five blackjack is where they pay you six-fifths of your bet when you hit a blackjack instead of 150% of your bet. So if you It's bet, never a good idea. Yeah, it's terrible. So if you're betting $50 and you hit a blackjack, you get 60 instead of the 75 you should be getting. That's such a terrible game that it can't be beaten with card counting. It's just it's impossible to beat. So, so he's claiming he got kicked from the link for playing six to five blackjack with a known card counter. Not that he was the card counter, but he was playing with a known card counter. Then here's the funniest part. The, the general manager invited me back the next night and offered to pay for drinks to explain it. <laughs> I, I couldn't make it because I had day two of the win main event, but I had no problems playing and staying at Caesar's property since then. Finally, since the reasons being given were clearly untrue, Horseshoe re- returned to their original stance that they do not have to provide a reason for barring me. I was then escorted to my car by police and security and given a trespassing citation. So, so, so basically, before all this happened, he already got caught counting once. I, I doubt it was just at 6-5 to five Blackjack. Maybe there was a clueless idiot at 6-5 uh, to five Blackjack who thought the game could be beat and barred him for that. But uh, whatever, he was, uh, um, he was banned. And it's not like the general manager said that, oh, it's a mistake, sorry, uh, you can come back, I'll buy you a drink. It was, come back and I'll buy you a drink while I explain why I'm banning you. <laughs> That's, it, w- it was pretty much like, I'll buy you a drink. Uh, just But you're still banned. Yeah, you're still banned, yeah. So, and then he never even took the, the manager up on the whole thing. So I don't know why that's an excuse. Like, oh, the manager was going to buy me a drink to explain why he banned me. Uh, we never met up, so I, I thought everything was cool. Huh? So, so he already had this backstory from July 14, 2014, and, and then he starts uh, with the Horseshoe Baltimore with all this uh, card counting in the fall and winter of 2014. So so that's a little additional part of this whole thing. Now, it goes on. You think at this point he's got a trespassing citation from the police. You think at this point he doesn't return? No. Before we get to that, January 21st, Maryland Gaming Control Agency ordered Horseshoe to refund money 
from the tournament I was kicked out of on December 27th. The commission pointed out in their email that they were requesting the refund because it was clear I hadn't broken any rules or done anything wrong. At that point, they declared my case closed and their job complete. They failed to address the issue of the match play on December 19th, where the casino let me bet on a first 12 of roulette and waited for me to win to decide it was not allowed for that bet. I think this highlights my point that the Maryland Gaming Control Agency will not interpret anything more than the obvious, since obviously allowing an illegal bet and only declaring it illegal after the player wins is another form of stealing. I mean, he's really harping on this uh, minor thing that you know, probably isn't even a violation. Uh, they also determined that my being barred from Horseshoe Baltimore without any valid explanation was not the Gaming Control Agency's responsibility. It's probably not. It's only in, uh, in New Jersey is their responsibility. Everywhere else, they are allowed for any reason to bar you from the property. They can even say, uh, we think your face is ugly. Uh, we're barring you because we don't want to look at your ugly face. They can actually do that in Nevada. <laughs> I am not kidding. They can do they, for any reason. Now, they, they can't violate your civil rights. They can't say we're barring you for being black or for being gay. But that, that's a different matter. That's a civil rights violation. But as far as they can bar you for any reason that's not discriminatory. So... Uh, uh, in fact, for, for example, they bar people from the El Cortez in Las Vegas, this crappy little casino, uh, kind of in the downtown area. They bar you from there for playing regular basic strategy blackjack and not even counting cards. <laughs> so, they, and they can. So, yeah, I mean, so the right to refuse service to anybody. Yeah. So, so uh, anyway, February 9th, I return home from an East Coast East Coast poker trip. Again, this is just 2015, February 9th. For uh, And I received the check from the horseshoe and another booklet of offers. By the way, I totally agree that he should have gotten the buy-in back and the horseshoe was being really scummy trying to keep that from him. I, I agree that they really mishandled that one and uh, that was them attempting to steal from him because they didn't like him and I thought that was pretty bad. Uh, I logged on to TotalRewards.com to look at rates for the World Series in June and discovered my player card was restricted. Uh-oh. I made... I mean, why, why is he surprised about that? Like, <laughs> He got another booklet of offers, but yet he was barred from there. I made numerous phone calls and learned that the horseshoe had barred me from playing at all properties, which include registering to World Series events. Well, yes, that's that's what he was told. I called Horseshoe in an attempt to resolve and explain what happened. I spoke to Christine Farley. You think that's she's related to Chris Farley? Christine Farley? It almost sounds like a comedy here. Christine Farley. <laughs> who took down notes on my story and assured me I would get a call back from her or Chad Barnhill within two days. February 11th to February 13th, I call three times a day trying to get in contact with Chad Barnhill and Christine Farley. they got to be totally sick of this guy by now. But my calls are sent to voicemail, and all my voicemails are ignored. Finally, on February 13th, my mom calls and gets through to Christine. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Your mom calls? This guy's 32 years old. Your mom calls? What? So now at first I thought that maybe his mom was just calling to be a female voice and then, you know, quickly uh, put him on the phone. Like I, yeah, I, I had that done once before when I, I felt that uh, I was being avoided and I had just a third party call and ask, you know, who clearly wasn't me and asked to be transferred so uh, I could see if that person was really there. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's the reason he had his mom call, cool. But no. On 2.13, my mom calls and gets through to Christine and then to Alex Dixon. He informs my mom that they are discussing my case and reviewing their policies and procedures and will inform me on Wednesday of the 2.18 of their decision. So his mom actually discussed this with them. 
His mom didn't just hand him the phone once he got through. <laughs> she actually took over. She's like, okay, sweetheart, I'll, I'll, get, you back the, advocate. I'll get you back in the casino, sweetheart. I, I'm not going to let those bad casino people keep you out. Okay, I, I, I'll make the call for you. Don't cry, sweetheart. Let me make you some cookies. <laughs> he actually had his mom call. <laughs> I, I would never, ever have my mom call a casino and speak for me. And if you did, you wouldn't put a post on the internet like using it to defend yourself. <laughs> Never. I, the, the only way I'd have my mom call is just to get through, just in case they were not picking up the phone because it's my voice. It's the only way my mom would ever call. And then I'd say, give me the phone. I cannot believe his mom discussed it with him. They must have, they must have been fl- falling on the floor laughing over this, that his mom is calling now. Uh, so uh, they'll inform him on Wednesday February 18th of their decision of whether his playing status will be restored at all properties or whether uh, it'll be all properties except Horseshoe Baltimore or if he'll remain banned completely. February 18th, I received an email from Alex Dixon informing me that Horseshoe and Caesars management has made the decision to ban me from all Caesars properties. There's no explanation for why I'm being evicted. I receive a courtesy call from Alex Dixon informing of this decision as well. He refuses to offer any substantial reason why I was barred other than a management decision. Uh, 2.19, I receive a phone call from uh, Stephanie Apaya. She claims it's in response to my complaint with Caesars Corporate and tells me she will reinvestigate to ensure the original review is handled fairly. I sent her this timeline. See, at this point, you got to give – at this point, you realize the, the, the company is sick of you, and no matter who you complain to, it's going to be the same result. So he's, Are there no other casinos in Baltimore, or what's the deal with yeah, this guy? Yes, yes. He's obsessed with the horseshoe uh, Baltimore. It's like the guy who goes to the doctor and says, hey, doctor, every time I move my arm like this, like it hurts really bad. And the doctor says, well, do you ever think of not moving your arm like that? <laughs> like, why is this guy just, you know, keep pressing his luck? There's got to be something else. So uh, 221, I discovered Steph- that Stephanie actually works for Horseshoe. Oh, no. Hors- Stephanie has been tricking him the whole time. She was going to investigate it, but she really works for the bad guys at Horseshoe. <laughs> no, Stephanie, how could you? Stephanie. Stephanie, how could you be working for a horseshoe and pretending you're part of Caesar's corporate? Shame on you, Stephanie. I try to politely inquire about the organizational structure of the investigation and get no reply. This is comical. February 23rd, I again politely try to inquire about the organizational structure and offer to discuss the situation with the people involved and get no reply. That's not a repeat of what I just said. As he, you know, Two days later, he did the same thing. Uh, February 24th, I receive an email from Stephanie informing me that the horseshoe stands by its original decision. I'm still completely in the dark why they have done this. February 26th, the World Series circuit event begins at the Horseshoe Baltimore, and I'm forced to miss the event and miss the opportunity to compete in the 2015 leaderboard standing and represent myself in my home state. (laughs) (laughs) He's got to represent. He's got to represent for Maryland. He doesn't get to to make Maryland look good by his great poker play. I, I call a f- close friend and pr- professional poker player to see if he can help. My friend tells me that he has two close friends that had this happen years ago in Las Vegas, and Caesars won't bother you if you merely play the poker events and stay away from playing blackjack or use the or using the mathematically mailed match play offers. Well, that, that's not necessarily true, but uh, this guy's situation obviously is much more extreme for all the reasons we've discussed already. He additionally informs me that casinos cannot trespass you without first asking you to leave if they have an offer inviting you. Well... Uh, it you know that that's that's questionable. Uh, it it can be a uh, the thing is when when he was asked to leave, he uh, you know it was very clear with him 
that he, he was asked multiple times to leave. So he can't. Yeah, and if the police are involved, you would think that would supersede any promotional offer yeah, you would get. This yeah, guy eight, obviously has no common sense. Yeah, eight days ago, the, trouble. right? Eight days ago, the police take you out of there. Then at that point, uh, you can't say that an offer supersedes it. That's why they trespassed him. So February twenty seventh, you're not going to believe this, people. After everything here, okay? After everything here, February twenty seventh. I tried to do what my friend suggested and register for the World Series event on February 27th. <laughs> what? What? After everything that happened here on February 27th, he goes back there and registers for another World Series event. Did, did even like 1% of him think this would end up okay? I figure if they don't let me join, I will just leave and go home. To my surprise, they allow me to buy into the tournament, even though it requires my player card, which alerts them of who I am. I sit in my seat and begin to play, and a manager pulls me aside and tells me that I know I'm not allowed to play here and asks what I'm doing here. I tell him about my conversation with my friend and politely agree to leave. He says, okay, I'll get you a refund so you can get out of here. He asks for my my license to get a refund, and I comply. Then he leaves me in a chair and gives it to security, who who turns it over to uh, Darren Griffin, who in turn calls the police and makes me wait to receive a trespassing violation. I am completely harassed by Griffin and the officer and remain polite the entire time. I guess he didn't flop on the ground Vlade Divac style for that one. Uh, At one point, the officer says, you had better show up on the court date or else your family will find out you're doing this and stop supporting you. (laughs) He says, huh? My family knows what's going on. He should have said, what are you talking about? My mom calls for me. Of course my family knows. What are you talking about? My, my mom is uh, my mom's an advocate here. Uh, she replies, well, if your parents find out about this, they're going to stop supporting you and you're going to have to find a job. This is about the fourth time the officer and or Darren Griffin has harassed me about needing to find a job without knowing anything about me. Okay, so they're being insulting. But, you know, look what everything has been happening here. For what it's worth, I keep perfect accounting records, own my own condo, declared over 200 k in earnings this past tax year, and support myself entirely through poker. They're treating me with extreme prejudice no, without knowing anything about me. That's not extreme prejudice. They just don't like you and are being insulting. This guy uh, just wants to play the victim, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. I would like also like to point out that both times I interacted with security supervisor Darren Griffin, he states that I was barred in all properties in the country. He specifically stated New Jersey, which state law prohibits them from barring me in. I have played from New Jersey without a problem, but this shows how hard it is to trust what is actually – what he actually has authority over when it comes to trespass violations. So, okay, so this Darren Griffin was probably ignorant to the New Jersey laws when he's in Maryland. Big deal. That doesn't mean you, you, know, you, you don't believe that he can bar you everywhere else or that you shouldn't return to the horseshoe. Uh, in any event, it seems odd and wrong that a casino in the state of Maryland should have the power or think it has the power to bar citizens from playing in its own casino or other casinos within its corporate family in other states. Casinos in no other state have such power. That's not true. The, if it is a corporate group of casinos they can ban you from all the casinos whether it's in the same state or elsewhere i I don't know why he thinks they can't it's uh uh if you're not allowed in caesar's properties you're not allowed in caesar's property so uh this is absolutely a crazy story now here's my take on the whole thing as i've already stated many times yeah the horseshoe didn't handle this perfectly uh kicking him out of the tournament refusing to refund his buy-in was especially bad form uh, they, they were trying to cheat him there. Uh, they also needed to follow the proper protocol with kicking him out. When they asked him to leave on the 19th, they should have told him. It was for good. Yes, for good. And if they don't tell him, then they have to do it the next time. They, they, they shouldn't skip over it and pretend it was for good 
on the 19th. And I believe his account. I mean, this guy's overly detailed with everything. I, I think he was probably telling the truth with everything there. I mean, if he was trying to lie to make himself look better, he wouldn't have talked about his mom. So yeah, but eighty percent of this probably still he brought on himself. Oh, of course, of course. You know. So 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 I, I they had bad form with that. They 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 cut some corners. They uh, you know they they didn't follow the proper procedure, and, and especially keeping the the buy in was bad. But the bigger question is, what the hell is wrong with this guy? He was clearly asking for trouble. Uh, it looks like as someone put on two plus two, he was trolling the horseshoe. He was trolling them. He. He understood what was going on. He understood when they kicked him out that he wasn't supposed to come back. He understood on the 27th, even when he came to register for that tournament, that it was questionable whether they were going to let him stay there. But he thought, okay, well, if I get past registration, that means I'm in. He was constantly thinking he's going to use loopholes to keep coming back over and over and over and over and rub it in their face if they try to object. He thought somehow that these offers gave him a right or by them buying him, by allowing him to buy into the tournament, it gave him certain rights that they couldn't take away from him and that he could do what he wanted and they couldn't stop him because they made certain mistakes or oversights that allowed him to get through these loopholes and keep returning there. But uh, why did he keep returning there? You, you asked that yourself. Are there not other casinos he can go to? Why doesn't he understand? Uh, anyone who's been in modern casinos in the last 15 years or so understands that the marketing department is always about two months behind. So your offers that you get today in the mail are usually based about what you did two months ago. That's what they're based on. So let's say you go into a casino, into the high roller section and throw around a ton of money. You're not going to get two days later a lucrative offer usually. Maybe the host will call you up and give you an offer. That's different. But as far as the marketing department, they're not going to mail you an offer two days later. It'll probably be about two months till you start getting these nice free play coupons. On the flip side, if you stop playing or you stay in the casino and use a lot of comps and don't give them any play beyond the comps, you're still going to get offers for about two months or more until they recognize that. It's always about two months behind. I don't know why it shouldn't be, but it is. And that's very common in all casinos. Anyone who's been around casinos, as this guy has for the last 15 years or more, knows this. Uh, also, if you get yourself barred from the casino, you will still receive these offers for, for usually for two months or more. Sometimes these offers will never stop because the marketing department isn't always connected with security and, and the records of who was barred. It should be, but it's not. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. In 2015, casino marketing department should be better connected, but that's the way it has been. That's the way it's always been since they've had these uh, computerized marketing departments, and he knows that. So did he honestly believe that receiving a free play coupon a few days after being barred was somehow their way of inviting him back? Obviously not. He's not some noob gambler from the Midwest. This is someone who supports himself gambling, took the time to learn how to count cards at blackjack. He was not a naive sucker. He knew exactly what he was doing when he walked through those doors of the horseshoe on January 4th. He knew he was directly violating their trespass warning, and he thought he was clever with the marketing offers, figuring he found a loophole and that they couldn't do anything about it. Well, guess what? They could. And amazingly, after that happened on January 4th, he returned again five days later, and he went back one more time on February 27th after everything. It's amazing. He just could not stop going there. It was really like he wanted to troll them with these loopholes. It was really like he wanted to somehow force his way in again and again and again, no matter what the police told him or no matter what he was told as far as not being welcome there. If he, he thought somehow he was going to drum up sympathy by posting the story on the internet. Yeah, and, and he did. Most of the people uh, were understandably 
very questioning of him and thought that he was crazy. He had to know that that, <clears throat> that what he was doing was like asking for trouble. He couldn't have been that stupid. Otherwise, he couldn't have possibly been a successful card counter or gambler yeah. if he had that little common sense. Yeah. So, so look, the, the, this guy entered a foolish game of chicken with Horseshoe Baltimore regarding what he felt was his right to be there. This is all about, they can't kick me out. I have a right to be there. I'm going to find ways to get in. They can't keep me out. And, and he kept finding new ways, he thought, ingenious ways to keep coming back. So he played this game of chicken with a horseshoe, and he lost. He made his own bed with this one. Now, will I be sad if somehow this gets reversed and he's at the World Series? No. If he makes it back to the World Series and they allow him back and they forgive this, great. Uh, I have nothing against the guy personally. He didn't cheat anyone in poker. He didn't do anything to harm me. He didn't do anything to harm anyone in poker. All he did was troll Caesars, which is really none of my business. But at the same time, I understand, or he trolled the horseshoe, which is Caesar's property. I understand why eventually, after he did enough to them, they got tired of him and said, all right, not only are you barred, but we're not going to even consider your appeals. You're gone. You're not coming back to the World Series. We want nothing to do with you. Stay the hell away from us forever. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you, you break up with a girlfriend or she breaks up with you, but uh, she still thinks you're a decent guy. And she's willing to stay friends with you or stay in touch with you. And then you keep stalking her and harassing her. Well, one day she's going to say, not only don't I want to be with you romantically, do not ever call me again. In fact, I'm getting a restraining order against you. That's basically what happened here is that uh, um, he made such a pain in the ass of himself intentionally that he pissed off the company about as much as he could. And now it had the backfiring effect of not only having him being barred from the World Series, but making it impossible that, or nearly impossible that they'll ever consider any appeal that he tries to do here. And, and whatever uh, money they were going to make off him obviously just isn't even worth the trouble for them at oh, this point. They just said, we don't want to deal with this guy. We don't care if you're a winning player, losing player. We just want you gone. Yeah, they're saying this is the one who's going to harass us forever, won't respect our, our decision to keep him out. Let me give you advice, people. If you get kicked out of any Caesars property for any reason, you need to kiss ass. You need to make them believe that whatever problem occurred, whether it's a problem you believe is a real problem or not, like people get caught smoking pot in the uh, parking lot. You, you can go on and on about how you should have the right to smoke pot in the parking lot, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to debate that. Uh, what I'm going to say here is regardless of your personal feelings of being able to smoke pot in the parking lot, you don't come to them and say, I should be able to smoke pot in your parking lot, so let me back. You come back to them and say, look, I'm very sorry. I made a big mistake. I, I didn't realize that I thought if I was on the parking lot, in the parking lot, I wasn't in the casino anymore. It was okay. I, but, you know, not only that, but I've, uh, I've, I've quit smoking pot. I don't do any kind of drugs anymore. I, I totally regret my behavior. It was stupid. I, I'll never do anything like that again. I promise to follow your rules. You, you kiss ass big time. And you make them believe that you are very regretful for what happened, that you understand that, uh, you know, them kicking you out was just, and that you are asking them to believe you're a changed man and that uh, you'd like them to reconsider their decision for keeping you out of there. And a lot of times you'll get someone who's sympathetic and will let you back in. And, you know, even with card counting, you're caught card counting, you can say, look, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I, um, I'm never going to do this again here. I promise I'll never sit at another blackjack table here. In fact, I, if you'd like, I'll promise I'll never play any kind of game here other than poker. I'm just, uh, I like poker. I, that's the main thing I play. 
I love to participate in the World Series. It's my favorite tournament series. Uh, it's something I look forward to every year. I've never been a problem here. I've never once got, gotten a warning for anything. I'll be very well behaved, as I always have been. Please let me come back. I promise I will only play poker at your property from now on. And if I violate You're a that, decent, respectful person. A lot of the time, casinos will do that, right? Like, you're welcome to stay here and play other games. You just can't play blackjack yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, that's, and, then, and usually, by the way, the way it happens is, yeah, they usually come to you first and say, stop playing blackjack. Yeah. And then if you keep persisting with the blackjack, that's when they, they ramp it up and make it worse. Now, sometimes small casinos will just boot you completely right away uh, or, or a few really sensitive ones. But the very large companies like Caesars, they don't tend to bar people from the property completely and kick them out of the World Series for one blackjack card counting incident. Now, if it's important for you to play the World Series, don't ever card count at Caesars properties. You're taking a stupid chance. It's not worth it. But if you have been caught card counting or, or smoking pot in the parking lot or, or maybe one night you got drunk and, uh, and were abusive towards dealers or, or, or you caused some kind of disturbance, whatever it is, you get back by kissing ass and by promising it'll never happen again. You don't get back there by trying to find loopholes and claim why it's your right to be there. That will just make you look like an asshole and a pain in the ass and someone that they don't want to deal with and they will find every reason to keep you out. They only want to let you back in if they think you will not be a problem for them again. And, uh, you know, as much as uh, I have complained about customer service issues at Caesars, as much as I have complained to them when these issues have occurred, I I, I don't get – I never cross any line. I I don't – I I always ultimately respect what they ask me to do. I I don't ever shout or create a scene. I I don't – ever become abusive to anyone. Uh, when I'm at the poker tournaments, I, I treat people well at the tables. I treat the dealers well. Uh, That's because you're smart and logical and you, you weigh like, it, it is what I'm going to, like, am I getting anything worth this out of it by, by causing this scene or this disturbance? Or is it better for my bottom line just to not cause any waves and be able to continue playing their tournaments and whatnot? Like this guy obviously was just like looking for confrontation, so he deserves what he had coming. To yeah, him, yeah, that's, I, that's what I think. I, I don't, I won't be sad if he if he gets this resolved. Great, you know, I don't, I don't dislike the guy. I don't think he's harmed anyone in poker, but I think that he's made his bed on this one. He he thought he was gonna mess with a horseshoe Baltimore and uh, come out the winner. Yeah. Well, he came out the loser, and that's what happened. That's part of the risk you take when you act like that. And that, and so I don't feel Jay Stat and others who support advantage players, I don't think he should be the advantage player you get behind. Just like I said, if you are concerned about police brutality, the one you don't get behind would be Michael Brown. If the same, yeah. Anyone who's got a questionable character that did questionable things to where the, quote, abuse they suffered may have been justified, that's the person you don't get behind. You wait for a better case where someone is legitimately wronged. Then you get behind that person. Then you make the big deal. So I think... Otherwise, you get tuned out by the people you're complaining to. You get tuned out by the powers that be if you're going to complain about the treatment of people like this. You you need to complain about the ones who are, you know, the, the guy who's never been a problem ever, gets caught card counting once, banned from all Caesars properties, and can't play the World Series. Uh, that's the guy you get behind, not, not this guy. So, uh, like, for example, a number of years ago, Richard... The Quiet Lion Brody was banned, oddly enough, for playing video poker. Uh, they decided he was an advantage video poker player and banned him. Some idiot decided this. They said, we don't like your comb over. You're no longer welcome here. <laughs> so so Richard Brody and his comb over were banned. And uh, 
you know, the poker community got behind Richard and they got Caesars to reverse it. They got them to agree that uh, he can come back and play the World Series, and he has. So it took a little time, but it got done. I think he agreed not to play video poker anymore, and that was that. But the thing is, that's the type of thing you get behind. Like, what did Richard do wrong? He's playing your video poker machines and you're not exploiting or hacking anything. Like, he's just playing. If you guys have a good pay table there, uh, that's your fault. You don't you don't get mad at Richard for playing a, a machine that you guys put there and knowingly set the pay table to exactly what you thought it was. So that's the type of thing you get behind and rally behind. You don't get behind someone like this. So uh, that's my feeling. I think the advantage play community has to be careful who they support. Let's see, the chat room is saying... Uh, Oh, they're talking about the guy at the M buffet who shot himself. They're getting ahead of themselves. Uh, J-Stat is saying banning him from the World Series is the wrong... It, they shouldn't be banning him from that they should, you know, over what happened. Look, uh, this is an unfortunate side effect that they happen to own the World Series. So, so when someone is such a pain in the ass to them knowingly and pisses them off enough, then they just say, get the hell off all our properties. I, I don't care... What we're doing on our pro- – I don't care if it's the World Series. I don't care if it's a concert we're having here. You know, I don't care if you want to come see Celine Dion or Elton John. Whatever we have here, get away. We don't want you. That's what they're saying. And unfortunately, they own the World Series, and, and that's, that was the side effect of the whole thing. All right. I to, you know, TMMLK is, is trolling the chat room. That's uh, – he, he's, <laughs> he's bombing the chat room with, with Low House. Jeez. <laughs> All right, I, I kicked him out. As much as I sometimes love Team MLK, I kicked him out. So, seriously serious, uh, presumably not talking about Team MLK, says, I would have banned him for being a petulant child during the poker tournament. <laughs> yeah, Coming I, from seriously serious, that might apply to this guy and Team MLK. Yeah. By the way, here's, here's an extra topic that uh, I didn't originally plan to talk about, but seriously serious brought it up on uh, 2 plus 2. All in magazine. You see, you talked about how you didn't like how magazines made articles made poker references when talking terrible about poker puns. players. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one is also doing terrible puns, but it's a poker magazine doing a different form of terrible puns. They wrote this about Garrett Greer at uh, the Five Diamond World Poker Classic, a pretty big poker tournament where uh, first place was almost $1.5 million. In the style we've seen before, Charania who's the winner, Motion uh, Chanaria, played fairly tight at the final table, watching his other players lim- eliminated each other as he ascended up the pay ladder. He entered the final two against Garrett Greer at, at a massive chip disadvantage, uh, but turned that around with five double-ups, the last of which essentially decided the tournament. Ch- Charania's pocket threes survived the race with Greer's ace-king, and Greer was left the most crippled player at the final table since Dan Harrington and his neck brace. So far, it sounds like sta- like standard, right? Like, okay, so he, he entered a race, he he got uh, crippled, and you know, he's the most crippled player since Dan Nar- Harrington had his neck brace. So it's kind of a little jab at Dan Harrington, but it, it seems like it's in fun. And uh, saying the guy just got crippled in chips. Greer gave himself the chip in a chair speech, but in a shocking cameo that added insult to injury, Lloyd Benson showed up and told him, you, sir, are no Jack Strauss, which is a joke about what Lloyd Benson said to Dan Quayle in a debate in uh, 1988. Uh, it obviously didn't really happen. Uh, down to a, a few, just a few big blinds, Greer was ecstatic to shove with pocket twos, but they couldn't hold as Charania's 9-6 made a straight on the river. With his second seven-figure payday, Charania 
career live winnings now eclipse four million. So you may say, okay, what's wrong with that? Sounds like uh, yeah, the writer of this update was fancying himself a comedian with writing about Lloyd Benson showing up and saying, you, sir, are no Jack Strauss. And the thing about the most uh, crippled player since Dan Harrington in his neck brace, except there's one problem here with the references to being a crippled player at the final table, the most crippled player at the final table, and giving himself the chip in a chair speech. And that is that Garrett Greer was playing at the table in a wheelchair. Okay, I definitely... What was that? I I said I saw that coming. Yeah. So not only did this guy think he was a comedian with these references, but uh, he decided to make fun of this crippled guy. So, So... Garrett Greer was unhappy about this and tweeted to All In Magazine, who wrote this and how did it get cleared? And so All In Magazine responded back with a tweet of, is there a factual error? (laughs) So then he quoted back, and Greer was left the most crippled player at a final table since Dan Harrington and his neck brace. Um, So then... All in Magazine says back, it was intended as a joke. The article is written each month with a bit of snark. Apologies if it offended. So he writes back, don't contact me or anything, though. Just write about the wheelchair that your magazine obviously can't see past. And then the magazine writes back, oh, my God, we truly had no idea you were in a wheelchair. It was just a joke about poker term crippled, poorly placed. I don't know about that. Look, we see two handicap jokes in the same update. One about uh, the most crippled player since Darren Harrington and his neck brace and the chip in a chair speech. So I, it had to be really bad luck on their part to be writing this and not realize he's in a wheelchair. I believe he was at the wheelchair. You know, he was sitting in the wheelchair at the table. So I don't see how the... How could someone be writing the word cripple and chip in a chair and not see that the guy he's writing about is sitting at the table in a wheelchair. Yeah, that's kind of a big coincidence if they think that's the case. Yeah, I, I don't think it is. And look, uh, this is not uncommon at the, 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 the televised event where I spun a seat cover and finished third in 2005. Eric Froelich, who won the event, and uh, was he got positive coverage. They made me into the bad guy, but... Uh, Eric Froelich, who won it, he was only 21 at the time, he received positive coverage, except Eric Froelich was very overweight. And at the very end of the episode, they couldn't help showing Eric Froelich standing up and looking really huge. And it says, a huge win in poker in more ways than one. So That's pretty bad. obviously they're trying to take a stab at Eric Froelich's weight there. And so so the, the point is that they do like to do things like that. They think they're clever sneaking in these little references and, and then trying to claim later, like they were going to claim later if Froelich complained that they meant that it's because he was 21 and at the time the youngest bracelet winner ever. So here they're, oh, we didn't realize that. We just meant he was crippled by his stack, not, not by his wheelchair. So someone in... All in had bad taste writing this. I, I think maybe the person responding on Twitter honestly didn't realize it. That's why he wrote, is there a factual error? I don't think he was trying to be an asshole there. It was probably so that'd somewhere. be like making like like short, like repeated short stack jokes about like maybe like a person who was like a midget at the final yeah. table. Like. <laughs> yeah, midgets playing. They're like, wow, th- this, this is uh, one of the shortest players we've seen in a while. Wow, we don't... Uh, 
I don't know. I, I can't even think of any off the top of my head except for that one. But still. This uh, was just bad taste, and now All In is trying to backtrack. I don't believe it was unintentional. So, someone wrote on 2 Plus 2, All In Magazine should be writing an appropriate response and also a donation to Mr. Greer's chosen charity. I think something like that would be nice. To uh, uh, Just something... Something like they... Uh, just to show... Uh, some kind of token gesture that they made a mistake. They're sorry, and you know, here's an act of contrition. Not whoa, we didn't mean it that way. Oh, we're so sorry. I, that's what someone says when they're called out. That was a little extra topic for today that I didn't intend to talk about, but decided to mention it anyway. Here's one I did want to talk about: Harry Reid, who's had. A peculiar last few weeks. First, Harry Reid showed up with a major-looking injury on his eye and claimed he injured himself exercising, but it looked like a pretty bad injury. And right on his eye, kind of a weird place. It's not like the injury was on his uh, shin or on his side. Then it was later coming out that Harry Reid's brother... Who then, you know, he got arrested for disorderly conduct and resisting arrest and yeah, being drunk. That he had shown up the day Harry Reid claimed he was injured. That Harry Reid's brother showed up to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And he said his name was Larry. He didn't give his last name. He's AA. They don't do that. But it says his name is Larry. Resembled Harry Reid. And said that uh, he had blood on himself at this meeting. And, and started rambling how he was afraid the Secret Service was going to come after him for what he just had, what he just did. People said, what did you just do? He said, well, I got really drunk and I ended up in a fight with a family member. So it's, it's assumed that uh, Harry Reid is lying again and that uh, his brother actually beat him up. Yeah, those pictures look pretty bad. I don't know what kind of like exercise thing, like somebody threw a medicine ball at his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what could have gone wrong, I mean? Yeah, so, so okay. You could say, well, Harry Reid got beaten up by his drunk brother. Maybe the drunk brother was the one at fault. Maybe Harry Reid was trying to calm him down or keep him from doing something stupid, and then uh, he punched Harry. I mean, you can't, you can't say Harry Reid did anything wrong by getting punched by his brother. But uh, And you can't even say that he has to tell everyone the truth about that if he wants to hide family drama. I mean, it's really his family's business about that. But, but uh, here's what's not his family's business, and here's what is pretty bad. Not related to this. Just thought I'd throw in that aside. Harry Reid wants to put an end to all online poker in the U.S. This is the same Harry Reid who at one point, not too long ago, attempted to submit a bill to get online poker legalized. So how could someone who was a friend of online poker now be so against online poker? Well, it's very simple. And that is Harry Reid can be bought by anyone. Harry Reid will basically do what you want if you give him enough money. Either whether you uh, support a campaign of his or if you directly bribe him to one of his secret accounts. There was a fairly credible-looking report 
that Utah really wanted to investigate, but the federal government under Eric Holder would not do, that Harry Reid took a million-dollar bribe from Full Tilt Poker for that bill he submitted to legalize online poker. Was that through the whole Jeremy Johnson yes. thing? Yeah, yes. I remember that. Yeah. So it's been said long before that even that Harry Reid has taken tons of bribes. He, he's, he was a congressman for, uh, for 34 years. Uh, Harry Reid, uh, the, the current Senate Minority Leader, and, uh, uh, and and was one time the U.S. Senate uh, Majority Leader, uh, has totally flip-flopped on this poker issue, probably because he was bribed again. Now, keep in mind, I don't think it has to do with any kind of support in future elections, because he also announced in this time period, you know, starting when the time he got beaten up and... Uh, uh, saying that he's not going to run again when his term expires in 2016. So he doesn't need campaign support anymore. Apparently he's going to be out of politics. But he has become good friends with Sheldon Adelson, and it wouldn't surprise me if some of Adelson's cronies bribed him again as a final thing he can do before he's out of office. So... Harry Reid has stated that one of the things he wants to accomplish during his last years in office is to end online poker in the U.S. forever. Uh, A site called VegasInc.com covered this. Uh, It said, asked in a radio interview last week about a proposed ban in Congress, Reid said, online gaming is not good for our country. Uh, He said that if the uh, House of Representatives were to pass a ban on online poker, he said the Senate would, quote, give it a good hard try. He says, we will see what the legislation does. We will see what the House does. But I think for the state of Nevada... Online gaming is not the direction we should go. So, looks like Harry Reid has changed his mind. He wants to see online poker banned again. Not banned again, he wants to see it banned. He wants to see a uh, Sheldon Adelson winning his fight. Pretty sure this is a result of a bribe or some sort of incentive he's being given by that side of things. This is basically a politician who will do anything for anyone who has the right money to buy him. So it's good that he's getting out of politics, but it can't come soon enough, and maybe he'll do some damage between now and then. Hopefully he won't. Do you think this is more directed at the legalized sites like WSOP.com, yes. or do you think this would extend to an effort to like shut down the smaller illegal sites like Bovada and Carbon? I think it's mainly directed at the legalized ones, that he wants oh. to see the movement of legalized online poker to stop dead in its tracks and reverse the momentum that was created by the ones that are legalized. Just wipe the whole thing out and stop the whole thing from becoming legalized. So... That's going to be one of Harry Reid's efforts in his final years in office. And it's too bad, but not surprising. 
So this was always a very corrupt politician. Whether you're a Republican or Democrat, uh, you really can't like this guy. He's flip-flopped all over the place on this issue. Yeah, and and I believe he got the million-dollar bribe. I believe that uh, he's gotten other bribes in the past. I mean, there were rumors about this for a long time. This is this is someone who it's surprising what he rose to. This guy, he grew up with his dad running, watching his dad running a whorehouse in Searchlight, Nevada. That that was the family he came from. And uh, this is basically someone who grew up watching shadiness all around him, and that's that's the way he knows. And so, somehow he parlayed that into becoming the Senate Majority Leader. And uh, definitely somebody who needs to be out of office. He would have lost back in 2010 if it wasn't for the Republicans putting up a terrible candidate against him and losing. Uh, the vote in 2010 for the Senate race was really the lesser of two evils. That was the way everybody in Nevada saw it. He was very unpopular in Nevada, he would have lost against any kind of even average candidate, but he faced a very below average candidate on the Republican side, so that's what happened there. But good riddance, at least he'll be gone in uh, 2016. Lou Father is telling me privately that uh, Benjamin's having a temper tantrum. I, I, Benjamin's not crying. I, I, he has cried before in the background of the show, but he has not today from what I've noticed. Well, there's certainly no crying going on at my house because there's no children here, so I'm not sure where that's coming from. Are, are you going to have children one day? I don't know. Are you married? No, I'm not. I'm okay. single. Okay. But you've got to be younger than me if you're talking about like uh, getting lectures in your school in the 90s about uh, call, or, you know, call return. Yeah, I'm 27. Oh, okay, okay. You've got a lot of time. You've got a lot of time. You, you shouldn't even bother. I mean, you're not that far from there anyway. You shouldn't even bother thinking of getting married until after 30. Honestly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really that concerned about it, to be honest with you. I'm just kind of, you know, enjoying life and getting myself established. It's not really a big burden on me. Yeah. When I was younger, I, I imagined myself being married at 25 and having kids not too long after that. Meaning, you know, have that, had that really occurred, I, I would have a child who's already near finishing high school, which obviously I don't. I have a child who's four. And it didn't happen that way. And, you know, I don't regret that. The The only downside to it not happening that way is that hey, I'll be old when Benjamin is grown up. And I, I probably won't get to see much or at all of grandchildren, just for my age compared to theirs, especially if Benjamin has kids late. And, and also, you know, Benjamin will have less time with his father, but... Uh, you know, and there's there's people I know who like they're done with the whole child raising thing by around my age, and then they have kind of more freedom. Well, how old were you when you had Benjamin? Uh, thirty eight and a half. Okay, yeah. See, my dad was thirty eight when he had me, so similar. Oh, it's similar the same situation. age difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I think about sometimes like when Benjamin's my age, I'll be eight, I'll be like eighty two, or almost eighty two, and that's not the nicest thought if I'm even still alive at eighty two. But whoa, you hear that? Yeah, I did. I, I dropped something. Oh. Let's try this again. I, I apologize, people. The uh, I dropped something. That was a lot of ice cubes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ouch. I apologize to anyone whose ears I blew out. I dropped something on top of the external sound card, and it just screwed it hard.
So was it earthquake? It wasn't too loud on my end. Okay, was, uh, uh, <laughs> beer, beer and brokers thing. Ouch, my ears. No, I, <laughs> I. So was it earthquake? That's what it sounded like. I was like, uh oh, and then I disappear. No, no earthquake. It was the, the earthquake of the sound card for something hitting it hard. At least it still works though. So I said my head is exploding wearing headphones. <laughs> People aren't going to want to hear this show again after that happened. Okay, let's uh, get to the next topic. A lonely and disturbed man shot himself at uh, at the M Buffet in Las Vegas. The M is a hotel about 10 miles south of uh, the Las Vegas that you probably know. Is that the buffet that Alan Kessler was a big fan of? I don't know. I think he's been a fan of a lot of buffets. Okay. But, uh, uh, yeah, this this guy actually shot himself at the buffet in front of other people. He was, you know, I don't know if he was carrying food or not, but he was uh, he was right there inside the buffet. People are there around him, and he people hear this. That's it. He's gone. One shot to the head. He's gone. Fortunately, the guy at least was not an asshole that was going to take out other people there especially because he had actual problems with other people at the buffet, some employees there that he easily could have taken out that he hated. But instead he just killed himself, which wasn't ideal. I mean, if he was going to kill himself, he should have done it you know, at his own apartment and not freaked out people in the buffet. I mean, people well, should have had a better last meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people ran out thinking that maybe it's uh, – they didn't know it was a suicide. They thought maybe just you know someone was firing at people in the buffet. I mean, imagine you're like in the buffet, you hear a gunshot, and you see someone collapse with a – you know, a bullet hole and they're dead. Yeah, you don't know if they shot themselves or you don't know if they were shot by someone else yeah. who's still at large. I mean, I'd be freaked out. I'd be just booking out of there and just hoping I make it out. These aren't my last few moments. Anyway, uh, but still, at least he didn't hurt anybody else. At least maybe psychologically he did. But uh, beyond that, he didn't hurt anybody else. But this, uh, the, the story came out about him and it was a lot more interesting than just someone who was down on his luck and decided randomly to kill himself at a buffet. There was a reason he chose the buffet. That is because the buffet was the reason he wanted to kill himself, strangely enough. I mean, when I first read that, like, what the hell? What? How could he possibly want to kill himself at a buffet? Yeah, I, I've had bad thoughts before when the prime rib that looks great and tastes like cardboard, I've been temporarily depressed but never wanted to off myself for it. Why did a buffet could ever make you want to kill yourself? Is it that they won't let you take enough cookies out or they, they stop you when you're trying to carry out desserts for home? Like what what could cause a buff, what could cause someone to kill themselves over a buffet? Here's the story. This guy's name was John Noble. He was 51 years old. He was 300 pounds. He was very lonely. He apparently spent the last 13 years taking care of his ailing mom and dad. First his dad, who then died, and then his mom. It was after his mom died that he really entered a shame spiral. This was someone who didn't have anything going on in his life other than taking care of his parents. No women. Uh, I don't think really he had any friends. I have to imagine that before when he got depressed that his mom kept him at least somewhat grounded and made him feel good enough to not do anything stupid or crazy. 
Uh, he won a strange prize at the M called Free Buffet Meals for Life, which isn't the best thing to win if you're already uh, 300 pounds, but uh, that's what he won. <laughs> um, unfortunately, this was the worst thing that could have happened to him. Not because of his weight. I think he was stayed around the same weight at the buffet. I think he even claimed he lost some weight because he started eating healthier things there. But it was bad for him because the buffet became the main focal point of his life. Now, it's hard to imagine. Like, you think if you win a free buffet... First of all, I'd go crazy eating the same buffet every day. I, I know this because I just did it. I At the Harris Rincon, seven stars get the buffet for free, and I was staying there for like four and a half days straight. And I ate in that buffet over and over again. And I'm telling you, by the end of that time, I, I never wanted to see it again. And it was kind of like an average buffet. It wasn't like Bacchanal buffet quality, but it wasn't awful. Anyway, I, I can't imagine wanting to come to a buffet every single day. But uh, this guy centered his life around the buffet. Not so much the food, but he got to know the people there. Because, as you might imagine, they have a pretty constant staff there. You see the same faces every day at the buffet, same hostess, uh, a lot of the same people serving you, and you get to know them if you're coming every day or just about every day. They get to know you, and you can understand how you can end up befriending some of them. So this at first seemed like a great thing for him. He won this buffet, and not only did he now have a free place to eat every day, but he now had his own little social scene. And he befriended some of the females who worked there that he also found to be attractive, who were also a lot younger than he was. These were women who looked like they were in their 20s or early 30s. So uh, the one he really, really got obsessed with there was the hostess whose name was Lori Nyman. And uh, from her pictures, it's hard to tell. I think she looks early 30s to me. But he got really, really into Lori. And Lori, uh, who had a lot of issues of her own uh, got to be friendly with him. They never had any kind of romantic involvement. I I have to imagine she wasn't a bit attracted to him and kind of sensed the loneliness and desperation on his part. But uh, a lot of women like to have, especially women with a lot of problems going on in their lives, they like to have like a, a friend zone guy who they would never do anything with but someone who was always there for them always willing to take their phone calls when they're depressed and you know they can dump their problems on and someone who'll even cheer them up by buying them things and treating them really well. Again, not someone that they'd ever want to have sex with, not someone they'd want to go out with, not someone that they'd want to marry, but a guy who's just always there for them that they could use for emotional and sometimes even financial support. I I don't think necessarily Lori approaches like, oh, I'm going to be a gold digger and get get this guy to spend money on me. But I I think it's like, oh, wow, here's kind of a a lonely guy who kisses my ass, and it's kind of nice to have him around. I think that's the way Lori looked at him. And so sometimes she really did call him and have heartfelt conversations with him because uh, she needed that sometimes. However, the problem when these women do this is they sometimes don't understand that the feelings on the other end are not always the same. So while you may see this 51-year-old, 300-pound guy as an unattractive dude you'd never want to touch, he sees an attractive or semi-attractive woman woman around 30 years old who is like his dream girl who's giving him a lot of attention. 
and he will become obsessed with her. This is not uncommon. I've, I've watched this over and over, not to this extreme where someone kills himself over it, but I, I've watched this over and over where a girl is overly friendly with a guy or sometimes even uses him for emotional support and spends a lot of time talking to him and being close with him. And then when the guy shows interest or, or, or gets very, very attached to them, the girl goes, whoa, whoa, get away from me. I don't want this. And then complains to me, oh, my God, what made him think this? I've never showed anything of that kind of interest. I never saw him that way. We never had anything that way. I'm like, look, just because you don't see him that way doesn't mean he doesn't see you that way. And to him, it looks like his dream girl is bonding with him. He thinks he's making inroads. So that's what happened to Lori Nyman here. Lori didn't understand what she was uh, creating here. Uh, he also became close with other women there. And, and this happened over, over a period of years. So uh, the problem was uh, he started to get too attached and these women started to realize that this wasn't a good idea, that uh, the weird buffet winner, while a nice rock to lean on when you need it, uh, is not worth the trouble if he's going to become obsessed with you. So they started to push away. They started to ignore him. They started to hope you would get the hint that uh, they didn't really want anything to do with him anymore because he became too into them. On March 31st, 2013, less than two months after his mom died, and again, this is like two years ago, and the suicide just happened recently. So two years ago, his, you know, his mom died in February. March 31st, he tried to kill himself. So, um, th- this is the chain of events that really started him off on this downward spiral. On February 21st, his mom died, 2013. Somehow between February 21st and March 4th, he really creeped out the the women that he had thought he was friends with, probably because he needed extra support from them. His mom had died, and he probably overly asserted himself, or maybe, you know, who knows, he may have uh, decided that was the time he's going to reveal his feelings. Whatever it is, they, he... he Freaked them out somewhere between February 21st and March 4th, 2013. So on March 4th, he was escorted out of the M buffet and banned from the property. I guess this guy could relate to uh, the, the earlier guy we talked about in the World <laughs> Series. Uh, uh, he was told if he returns, he'll be arrested. Now, he didn't understand that this is about the women. He thought that this was financial. He thought, hey, I could live another 30 years. I don't know if he would do that with his weight, but he thought he could. And he said, hey, you know, at today's current buffet prices, if I go every single day and I take a guest, I don't think he was taking any guests, but uh, he was saying, if I took a guest every time, I guess he's allowed to take a guest if he wanted to. And when every single day, for now in the next 30 years, then uh, he would be eating uh, $600,000 of of buffet food. And that's not exactly how it works. First of all, he, he wasn't uh, taking guests as far as I know. But uh, second, buffet food is different than like food you'll find at the supermarket or you buy a la carte. The buffets, they make mass amounts of food. And at the end of every day, they throw a lot of it away. 
Yeah, they're making it regardless of whether he shows up with his promotion or not. It's not really affecting how much they're making yes. or how much they're putting out. Yes. One extra person in the buffet, and that's why they did it, by the way. One extra person in the buffet is not going to affect how much they make. Uh, yes, he, he, they do have some extra costs in uh, like cleaning his plates or whatever. That is real cost. But as far as the food, uh, they're just making a lot of it and throwing a ton of it away. So he's basically eating what would be thrown away anyway. He's costing them very little, adding one person to the buffet. Now, if you add 100 people to the buffet, then you've got to make a lot more. Then, then that makes One person is going to affect a buffet very, very little. So this was not a, a sneaky way to revoke the prize to save money. But he believed it. So, uh, so, so he he so he wrote this whole uh, long thing on July in July 2013. Again, nearly two years before he killed himself. Uh, I guess he was bringing in his mother at the time, but they, obviously she wasn't going to continue to be a guest, and she was dead in the ground at that point. But uh, he said, "I always brought in my mother as a buffet guest who was in a wheelchair." Uh, and and the, the hostesses, Lori Nyman, Izetta Sejmanovic, and others would give us hugs. Some time ago, Lori and I became good friends, would call one another. No, we are not fooling around. Well, her daughter, well, her daughter, oh, I guess Lori is older than I thought. Her daughter last year was dating a guy named Cesar Perez. And congratulations to Lori for looking around 30. I thought, I thought Lori was around 30 or 32 or something, which was probably younger than that, probably older than that. Uh, but, uh, her, dating a guy, Cesar Perez, who hit Shana, but like he's, he's going on and on about Lori's problems. That, that her daughter got hooked on heroin and blah, blah, blah. So uh, he goes on and on about how close he was to Lori. He even posted a, a voicemail of Lori leaving him a message about you know, some problems she was having and how she'll call him back later. And it was clear they had some kind of friendship-like relationship. Where is this guy posting all this stuff, by on, the way? On Facebook. On Facebook, oh, you, you can, if you'd like to read it yourself, by the way, uh, and it's very long and crazy, but you can, uh, and you have to scroll back some to earlier dates. But uh, uh, his Facebook, if you want to find him, is facebook.com slash John period noble, exactly as it sounds, period 186590. That's John period noble, period 186590. You do that after facebook.com, put a slash, and then write that. He only had 22 friends on his Facebook, mostly like lawyers that he was trying to get to take his case against the M. But uh, basically, he became obsessed with uh, with this Lori Nyman. And when he had the one-two punch of his mom dying and getting banned from the M, his life just crashed down in front of him. He had two rocks in his life. He had the M buffet and, and, and you know, Lori Nyman there and the other friends he thought he had there and his mom, and they were both gone. Now he had nothing. He had no mom anymore. His dad had died a while back. And the buffet and all the people he would, thought cared about him from the buffet now wanted nothing to do with him and wanted him completely away from them and that buffet itself. And he lost the prize itself. So he's like, crap, what do I have left? So he tried to kill himself 27 days after that on March 31st, 2013. So that, that was the first portion of his story. And it just kept going downhill from there. And uh, he kept trying to get back into the buffet. He wrote long rambling things on Facebook. 
He would even post things on uh, on Facebook criticizing the buffet for other reasons, claiming that they were falsely advertising things on billboards. He just like started. He just hated the buffet for what they did to him. Uh, he even posted in January 2014, again more than a year ago, the note that he left to Lori Nyman. Uh, that uh, that he said got him kicked out. Uh, he, he said, here's the note. Jade, would you do me a favor? If you should hear from Lori, give me a call or email me, please. I haven't slept as I have this eerie feeling something's going on and I'm worried about her. You have angels above looking down on you. And I always considered Lori and myself each other's earthbound angels. <laughs> uh Giving each other support and strength. I know Shayna, Lori's daughter, will always come first in her life as she should, but when Lori is upset over the Caesar problem, etc., and, and not Caesar's palace, but this guy Caesar, and disappears without hearing anything from her, I worry about her. I don't know what I would do if something ever happened to her, as she is so special to me. Hmm. That is uh, already getting a little bit creepy. He goes on. P.S. Should you get a chance to go on Facebook, look up William Slater, and you'll see a different date for marriage throughout the years. Then type in C.W. Slater and scroll through everything you think you see with pictures. Uh, like he's going on about uh, about how her marriage looks phony. So he's well, Jade, thanks for listening, John Noble. So they banned him after this uh, creepy message received. <laughs> that was what they thought when they read that. So Jade gets this weird-ass message. like, yeah, we got to shut this guy down. He thinks he's her, her earthbound angel to save her from the evils in her life. And he cares about her. She's special to him. So they realize they created a monster there. And they booted him. Now you have to understand for a guy like this, he thought he was trying to help. He thought he was trying to be concerned for her. He thought he was trying to be there for her and let someone who knows her know that she hasn't been heard from in a little bit. And maybe this guy that she doesn't like dating her daughter has hurt her in some way. And, uh, and, and so he dropped this note, but instead of just saying it quickly, like, hey, Jade, I haven't heard from Lori. I know she's having some issues with her daughter's boyfriend. Can you check on her? That he wouldn't have gotten banned for. But this whole thing about being her earthbound angel and, and about how her marriage is a big mystery and maybe Lori really isn't married and is falsifying it. I mean, the, what this Jade person obviously thought was, and that was the end of him. They were probably afraid if they don't get rid of him from there, he's going to eventually kill Lori or something. So he couldn't understand, though. It's not like you know you get drunk and punch someone out and you understand why they're banning you from there. He, he thought, hey, I'm just trying to help a friend here, and, and they're kicking me out. I understand why they did it, but uh, for a guy like that who's very lonely and, and doesn't uh, understand things socially very well, he, he thought that he's just trying to be helpful to a friend and, and express concern, and they kick him and won't tell him why. So on, on May 21st, he posted, Happy birthday, Mom, Norma Noble, RIP. It's been about 15 months since you left, hopefully to a better place without pain. Every day I think if I could have just gotten you to the doctor sooner. So he felt guilt, too, that he, maybe he got his mom to the doctor. She'd still be alive. I had hoped that friend you always thought of as a daughter would have been there for me to help me deal with your loss, but she lied about me, lied about me causing great pain and financial loss that I no longer owe him a home. So I guess he lost his home over something, and he claims that his mom's former friend uh, caused it, and so who knows what that's about. 
And then he writes uh, you know, about a memory that they had about just t- kind of taking random road trips that I won't bother to read. But uh, uh, the cats are adjusting more than I, although they stare up in the sky a lot. We'll miss you, always love you, and give my love to Dad, Aunt Mary, Aunt Stella Marie, and Aunt May. So those are all the other people in his family who had died that he's saying that you know, he's seen them. She's seen them in heaven. So you know, it's kind of sad here. That, you know, his he was so close to his mom and uh, had the the guilt that maybe he could have saved her if he took her to the doctor earlier. He probably couldn't have done anything. I mean, the, it sounded like she was in very bad shape and she was 83 years old. So, I mean, it happens. But it's it's natural to think that and blame yourself in a way when your mom dies and you love her so much. But this guy was basically a lifetime mama's boy, never got married, never had any, you know, probably didn't have many relationships with women. And he he felt like he lost everything. He He felt like... uh so he lost the M buffet. He lost Lori. He lost his mom. He held on for about two years. He he tried to sue them. No lawyer would take the case. Though some jerked him around, saying, "Well, you're right, and it's kind of a good case, but uh, it's a little too hard to prove. But uh, if we could just prove this a little bit more, we, I would totally take this." So he had a lot of lawyers claiming that they were really close to taking it on contingency, but not doing it. I probably just to make him feel good, and uh, yeah, maybe he sounded kind of crazy on the phone. They didn't want him arguing. So that's why he killed himself. And I think it's an interesting story because it's a, you've heard about lottery winners where sometimes it's the worst thing that can happen to them, that it disrupts their life and uh, creates more problems than it solves. This was a buffet lottery winner <laughs> who uh, came to uh, you know, first think he was really gaining from it and gaining a lot of... Uh, social relations and maybe even a relationship with a woman that he really was into only to have it snatched away from him when he just thought he was trying to help. And right after just like weeks after his mom died, I'm surprised he held on for those two years. Uh, I'm surprised also after that first suicide attempt that they didn't make a better attempt to keep track of him and make him check in with a psychologist. But yeah, a lot of times the government isn't very good about things like that. So, uh, were there any details on that? Like, how did he try to kill himself? Like, what uh, ended up I'm happening? Not sh- I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I do know he left. Uh, that that he sent a two-hour DVD explaining everything and 270 pages of documents to the Las Vegas Review Journal right before killing himself. So he wanted them to know what happened there. The final thing he wrote to the public before killing himself to his 22 friends was this on Facebook, and then we'll be done with this topic in case you're sick of it. This is posted just three hours before he died. Three hours before he died. This is actually a... uh, uh, He hasn't said he's going to kill himself yet. It's interesting. It's uh, somehow between these three hours and these three hours, he went from just being frustrated to deciding to kill himself. If you notice my friends list are a few lawyers and judges. I've been trying the past years to find an attorney to represent against the lies and slander. The M resort has falsely made about me. Even though a few attorneys, I met say it's good case trying to find one on contingency or pro bono has been a difficult task. So I went on Facebook and messaged these people and also friend requests and they would definitely read it. 
basically the ones that accepted a friend request did not get back to me in regards to the M Resort, and most were running for a political office, is perhaps why they accepted in the first place. I've, I've been under a lot of stress and depression these past couple of years thanks to the M Resort and lies from Nor- Lori Nyman. I wish just one person would have said to me, I believe in you, I'll be there for you, but nobody has. All the hateful people at the M Resort are pathetic. It's sad that what our society has become. I've been destroyed because I told the truth. I never thought any type of backlash would be so brutal to destroy me in this way. I'm a genuine person proved by my inability to properly deal with everything that happened. I think I will get off Facebook. Ironically, he didn't get off Facebook and now can't. Uh, because of the crap like uh, crap, people like M Resorts, Alex Cisneros have put me through, calling me names, and no one stands up for me. And also people like Lori Nyman, and he puts their address, Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, uh, and her alleged husband went to Mission Viejo High School, who calls herself the Dia- themselves the Diablos. Then there was Julieta Macharska, p- posted her address, and Jadrian Mosqueda, that's the jade he was writing to, again, her address, who all lied and slandered me. So his final thing was posting their addresses, saying they lied and slandered him. Also, on April 29, 2014, he wrote this to a guy named Justin Zumbro on Facebook. He posted a screenshot of this. Hey, Justin, two quick questions about the Studio B buffet. That's the one at the end. Do you remember what Moe's last name was? Uh, and two, do you, have, do you ever hear or have any knowledge of hostess Lori Nyman kissing guys in the kitchen or her having an affair? So still obsessed with Lori Nyman. Was she, kiss, you know, was she kissing guys in the kitchen there? Uh, are you hearing that? Yeah. Uh-oh. Sounds like some interference. Yeah, all right. Now it's going. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's going on today with the interference and the dropping things? That... All right. I think I... I'm not sure what that was about. To adjust some wires. Not a good day for anyone's ears listening to this show. Bad ear day on Poker Fraud Alert. Have some temporary deaf listeners, I think, by the end of the show. I'm sure we'll edit it all out in post-production. <laughs> yeah, that's something I used to do, and then I said, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just uh, I'm just posting it as is. Tough luck. So anyway, you know, I, I feel bad for the guy. I, I, I can kind of get in his head and think about, like, think the way he's thinking. I would not think like this. I, I would, if this happened with me, I would understand it. I, I wouldn't act so creepy like him, but... Uh, you know, if this happened with me, I, I would see that, you know, hey, maybe I pushed this too far. Maybe I got too involved and now they don't want anything to do with me. And now they're banning me from the buffet and I'd be pissed. I wouldn't kill myself, obviously. But, you know, someone who is very lonely and has no social interaction and finally feels like he's gotten somewhere and finally feels like he's now got a social circle and then just have that yanked from him and his mother just died. It's just too much. I'm not yeah, saying the problem he- with like guys like this is like he obviously didn't really have much going for him. So this like buffet thing was kind of like his total his total like existence the center of his being you know like people who have a lot of diversified interests or hobbies and stuff you know if something like this happens they're able to kind of bounce back from it because they have other stuff to distract them or whatever yeah when you only have like one or two things going on for in your whole life and one of those goes away it seems a lot more dramatic than if you kind of have you know a, a wide diversity of things going on yeah so it's really too bad. You know, this guy clearly had some issues and, yeah, I don't know. It's too bad. There's obviously a huge mental health issue in this country, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah. So, so. 
you know, at least at least no at least no innocent people were hurt. You know, yeah, that's the one. I, thing I did think about that. Like, of, you know, people didn't deserve anything. Yeah, he could have know, other than a little mental. You know, he could have seeked out Lori Diamond there and and you know killed her and killed the other people who he felt were at fault and then shot himself. But he didn't. He just shot himself there to make a statement like you guys ruined my life and I'm going to kill myself here. Uh, but the interesting thing is he wasn't planning that three hours beforehand. Three hours beforehand, it's like yeah, I think I'll leave Facebook. Well, he left something, but not Facebook. So uh, it's. You know, people who hang out at casinos a lot, a lot of times they have depressing stories. I don't know if I, I got to tell this story before, but when I was at Harrah's Rincon, near the very, very end of my last session, and I was going to drive home late at night, which I did. I drove home like in the middle of the night, but about one thirty in the morning, I noticed kind of an odd scene going on there. Uh, on the bank of slot machines kind of like back-to-back with mine, where I I couldn't really see the people except kind of through the slot machines. Uh, There was a girl who I I didn't get that good of a look at her, but an attractive-looking girl, looked like late 20s, uh, playing. And there was just just one guy after another kept coming up to her and talking to her. First, I thought it was because she was alone and uh, and, and, fairly attractive and in the rink on late at night. But it, it appeared the way they were talking and how comfortable they were that they all knew each other. I'm like, hmm, she must be like a regular or something. Then I saw another girl who's kind of just wandering around who wasn't as attractive. This the skinny girl looked around my age who was missing teeth and had a, a meth head look to her. Uh, she was kind of circling around. Then she sat and talked to that girl. And then she was kind of circling around and going, what the deal, the deal with these people? <laughs> What's going on here at the Rincon? Like, do they have like a weird kind of social circle there? So anyway, as I'm in my final 15 minutes of my session... I say final 15 minutes, I was playing a certain number of tier credits and I was going to quit, and I was very close to the end. Uh, the one who looked like the meth head came and started talking to me randomly. I, I almost told her, you know, get away, I'm playing video poker here, but I thought, ah, you know, I, I've been trapped here for four and a half days, didn't set foot outside for the entire four and a half days, which was my choice, but I just had a lot of video poker to play and a lot of buffets to eat. And... I said, this is the first interaction I've really had with anyone, except for like casino employees briefly. So what the hell? Let me, let me hear what the story is here. Uh, keep in mind, I was not interested in this meth head at all, and I wasn't looking to get laid or anything like that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, even if she was attractive. Uh, so, you know, I'm with someone already. But uh, I, I just wanted to hear the story. So she sat down and started talking to me, made some small talk at first. Uh, in the process, while we were sitting there, uh, first of all, one of the guys... Actually, one I hadn't even seen before, a, a guy like in his 50s, looked Indian, came up and was talking to her about going somewhere to purchase meth. <laughs> and after he walked away, and this guy actually looked pretty normal, but after he walked away, she said, oh, he's a big meth head. But the funny thing is he was a little concerned about it when... Uh, she was like making it clear what they were talking about. He tried to talk in code to her. He's like, shh. shh. He's like, oh, don't worry. This guy's cool, referring to me. Which <laughs> she had no, she had no idea whether I was cool or not. But I, I wasn't going to go report anyone for this. But uh, I, I found it amusing. So then she went on to tell me her story that uh, she was from like the Temecula area and, and uh, she's getting a divorce and and blamed it on her husband who was a gambling addict and lost like hundreds of thousands at the Rincon and. Uh, yeah, she described herself as a pill head, but it seems she did a lot more than just pills from the, the look she had. And, uh, and we, we sat there and talked about the final 15 minutes, and then when I was done playing, 
you know, I, I took off. I said, well, this is kind of, <laughs> uh, and then when I took off, she went back to go talk to that, uh, that other girl who was, who was across. And I, I thought, well, apparently there's like some like meth community here at uh, the Rincon who's regulars here, but at least, Hey, at least she didn't beg me for money or anything or bug me for that. At least she just, uh, and she saw I had like $1,200 in credits on the machine. And, and she knew my name, you know, she asked me my name and I told her my name was Todd. So as I'm walking away from the machine and she's now sitting with that other girl, she shouts it to me like across about 200 feet away. Hey, Tom, can you give me five bucks? <laughs> and, and she wasn't joking. She really wanted Tom to give her five bucks. Like this whole, this whole conversation was, was for me to give her five bucks. Or maybe it was 20 bucks, some, some small amount like that. I think it was 20 bucks, actually. So I told her no and walked away. And that was the end. <laughs> so, but I, I thought about it. Like, I'm driving home, and I have, like, nothing to do except just kind of think as I'm driving. And I think, God, this is kind of weird. Like, they've got these people, like, these stories she's telling me about herself. And, and she had, like, three kids, too. And then her husband, who lost, like, $500,000 gambling at the Rincon and, like, yeah, all the meth heads there. Like I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of where they congregate here at the, at the Rincon. And I, I thought, not that I was surprised by this, but there's a lot of people who go to casinos regularly to fill some sort of emptiness they have in their lives. And obviously for this John Noble to have won this buffet, he didn't just stroll into the M for the first time in his life and win it. He's, he was probably a regular gambler there and happened to win some promotion or contest they had there for this buffet, and then, you know, which ended up destroying him. But uh, there's a lot of messed up people in casinos, including a lot of people who can appear on the surface to have everything together. They may look okay. I mean, like this meth girl, she was clearly uh, messed up just from looking at her. But there are other people there who can have a completely normal look to them, like this Indian guy I saw uh, who was going to go drive with her somewhere to make a meth deal. I think she was introducing him to someone or something to buy, to buy meth. Or she was going to sell him meth directly herself. I, I don't know what, but uh, um, they were going to go off property to do it somewhere in another city. But uh, the point is that there's a lot of people who may appear okay on the surface of these casinos who really have a lot of issues. They're kind of escaping at the casino. And this guy, he didn't seem to have a drug problem, but he had a problem of extreme loneliness and nothing going on in his life. And the casino was probably all he had. And then it turned into the buffet being all he had. So uh, this is not as surprising as you might think. You may think, oh, of all the people that win the buffet, if anyone else won this, it wouldn't have happened. Well, that's probably true, but the chance of this happening was a lot higher with a casino promotion than if it was just like an average citizen winning a free buffet. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of down-on-their-luck type of people that are drawn to casinos for one reason or another. But, yeah, I, I, I agree. I've witnessed the same thing for sure. Yeah, So someone is saying about this story, this is so depressing I want to kill myself in front of a really <laughs> depressing buffet. <laughs> and uh, someone says, killing yourself in public is really selfish. You have to be really sick to do it. I can't imagine it being any other way. Obviously, the guy was very sick. Uh, I, I will say that killing himself, it wasn't selfish in the way that I don't think anyone was left in his life who cared that he was going to be dead. Yeah, he didn't, it didn't sound like he had people, you know, depending on yeah, him. He, yeah, he had he had no one. But uh, but it was selfish to do this at the buffet and freak people out. 
But but again, at least that was the lesser of all the things he could have done with uh, taking out a gun in public. He could have uh, killed other people. It's much better that he just did himself in. I mean, this, this Lori Nyman should be thanking the Lord that she's still alive. Yeah, that it wasn't like a murder-suicide. Yeah, and you got to think with somebody like this, like if, if he's in the state of mind where he's going to take his own life, I'm pretty sure he's not like caring about you know, other people in the casino that have to witness it. Like, obviously, his his mental state is, is so messed up that I'm sure that thought process probably doesn't even enter his head. Yeah. So I, I don't think he was a bad guy. He was just someone who was very lonely, who, who who had too much happen at once that he couldn't handle, felt like he lost everything. And he had two years to stew about this, too, which made it even worse. Uh, the 916 area, someone else being concerned about the ice on this show. What the fuck is the co-host doing in the <laughs> background? Is his chair making that noise? That was uh, about two hours ago. Oh, okay. Is it your chair? No. Hmm. The mystery sounds here. Uh, Sa- San Lamar is asking, can we talk about cancer next? Okay, so let's talk about uh, pancreatic cancer and its low survival rate. All right, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about uh, another depressing topic, casinos. Kind of a segue here. Casinos, are they ever your friend? Sounds like a dumb question. But believe it or not, a lot of people believe when they go to a casino that the employees at the casino care about them. Not the casino itself, but that the employees of the casino care about them. Well, they're obviously doing their job well then. Yeah. The, the hosts care about them. The cashiers care about them. The dealers care about them. The cocktail waitresses care about them. There's a lot of times you, you see someone regularly at a place like a casino and you believe you've established some sort of personal connection, especially with hosts whose job it is to get you in the casino and lose more money. And the hosts. And with cocktail waitresses where like tipping is involved, you know, obviously that would have a lot to do with it. Yeah. So a lot of people. They uh, they go to these casinos because they have this emptiness, and then it's easy to believe that people that you encounter there are your friends and that uh, they care about you and that they're only really acting in your interest and they would never be lying to you or, or acting like they, uh, they care about you just to get you to lose more money there or get you to tip them more. But that's exactly what most of them are doing. Now, I'm not saying that all, everybody who works at a casino is bad. I'm not saying that uh, there are not actual hosts or dealers or even cocktail waitresses that, that may, may not be very good people. You know, there may be some that are good people that actually do care about some people they get to know and maybe in a way kind of consider them friends. And I, I can see that happening. Uh, I can tell you that the casino hosts, most of them that do establish any kind of like actual friendly relations with a customer uh, and, and end up doing favors for them beyond what their play earns, end up getting fired. So they don't last very long anyway, even if you do find a good Apple host there who really does care about you and wants to do more for you than you've earned. But but basically, anything that's done for you at a casino is usually done with the goal of getting you to lose money there. Not necessarily today, not necessarily tomorrow, but sometime in the near future. They are hoping that they have created goodwill from you to where you will want to come back and lose money. When they send you free play coupons, when they send you comps of like rooms and, and food, when they invite you to concerts, when they act so happy to see you, or give you great service, all of these things are to make you feel good about the place and get you to come back there and lose your money. Like a casino is a very predatory business 
It's different than like a restaurant. A restaurant, they're out to make money. They make a profit on you. When you go eat at a restaurant, they will make money on you. The food you're paying for is worth less than the money you're paying. It's true. But you are still going there and getting something for what you're buying. You're not losing money by going to a restaurant. You're just purchasing something at a price you're agreeing to pay and, uh, and getting something for it. Now, there's an argument that gambling is entertainment, and for some people it is. Even for me, I, I enjoy gambling. I've always was fascinated by gambling, even as a kid. But casinos are looking to get you in there to lose every last penny. That's really what they want. They really want every customer to lose every penny they have. That's their goal. And if not that, then they want a moderated version of that where you lose a a set amount to them or an amount you feel you can afford to lose. But the point is they want you to come in there and lose as much as possible. They don't want you to win. They don't want you to break even. They don't want you to just come occasionally and play once in a while. They want you to keep coming back, which is why they send you these enticing offers to get you down there. Look, it worked. Even look at this guy who was complaining about being banned from the Horseshoe Baltimore. He was sent these free play offers uh, for 470. He'd come in there, play them, and then keep playing blackjack and lose 5,000, 9,000, whatever. Now, he was counting cards probably, so he may have been playing at an advantage, but he was still playing because they sent him those free play offers, which is what they wanted. They didn't want him to card count, but that you know he did keep playing. So... I'm mentioning this because I I know there's people who listen to this show who are casino players and who sometimes will feel guilty for for asking for the most they can get from from a casino or or redeeming as many comps as they can get or uh, or they even believe that that they have to play because their host will be disappointed in them and their host won't uh, get as good of a commission and they can't do that to their host who's a friend. Well, you should never feel like that because they're not going to feel bad for you if if you know if you lose all your money right. and, and don't get any comps or value. Right, and that's ridiculous. Yeah. So, so you need to understand that it's it's actually kind of like a competition with you and the casino. It's a competition between you and them to get value out of each other. They're trying to get your money. You're trying to both get lucky and beat them and get whatever comps they offer you that will be worth more than the money you lose. And uh, that that should be your attitude with them. It shouldn't be that they're your friend. It shouldn't be that they're that, that the yeah that you feel guilty to redeem anything that they give you, or that uh, that you feel obligated to play to to make up for what they gave you. Now, if you feel obligated to play to keep up a certain status you have there, so they offer you more comps in the future, that's a different story. Then, of course, uh, that that's a decision you're making to to get yourself other things in the future, and that's perfectly fine. I. I've never seen, by the way, so many questions in the chat room of who's the co-host. Everyone's asking this. Who's the co-host? Who's the co-host? Who's the co-host? Everybody wants to know the co-host. We've said this so many times. It's a guy named Grant who listens to the show who doesn't post on the forum. Okay, I guess I'm going to have to like make an account on the forums or something so I can justify yeah. my existence <laughs> on this radio no, show. No, yeah, nobody thinks you exist. Maybe they <laughs> think I'm like throwing – A phantom host. They think I'm throwing my voice to pretend to have a co-host. So anyway, on the flip side, is the casino your enemy? We've talked about a few people on this during this episode, not on this episode, but during this episode, like the guy who got kicked out of the World Series and this guy who killed himself, who believed that the casinos became their enemy. This uh, John Noble thought the M Resort was evil by the end. 
This guy who uh, kicked from the World Series believes that Caesars and the Horseshoe have been pretty evil here and treated him terribly. They're not. All they're looking to do is make money from you. And if you make a huge pain in the ass of yourself, then they don't want you there at all, and they kick you out. But it's not personal. It might be personal with a few employees if you really get them angry at you, but, but the business is not looking to personally harm you. They're not evil. They're looking to make a profit off you by making you lose your money there, by enticing you to lose your money there. And it's up to you as the player to make sure that does not happen, or it does, does not happen more than you know you're willing to lose as a recreational player. And, uh, and it's, it's like a business arrangement. It's, it's a business transaction every time you go to a casino, even if it doesn't feel like it. And that's the way you need to see it. It's a business transaction where you should try to get the best of it because they're trying to get the best of you. They're not evil, and you're not evil. And I, I think it's important to see it that way. It's, it may seem obvious to some of you, but a lot of you also don't see it that way. So that, that's my little editorial here. I see Brandon Drexel Gerson is in the chat room. And, uh, and he, he is now complaining that the co-host, he says, Grant is an opportunist wretch. Put me out of work, that son of a horse. <laughs> Brandon thinks that, uh, that you have stolen his job. <laughs> I will gladly step aside from the great Drexel anytime. Yeah, he's a, the, Grant is a longtime fan of the show. Who I'm sure heard all the shows with, uh, with well, Brandon. I'm a, big, I'm a big Drexel fan. I used to listen to End of the Night with Drexel oh, and all Into those the Night. episodes. Look at this. So, so Drexel, it's a, a fan of yours who's pay, paying uh, homage to you by being a co-host here. And I'm, I'm happy to have you tonight here, Grant. I thought you did a good job. And uh, I'm glad to see Drexel in the chat room uh, at the final moments that we're doing this show. See if I got any text messages before. If anybody wants to make a river phone call, call quickly and I'll put you on for a short time. Uh, no more text messages. Been a kind of light evening as far as phone calls or texts. But uh, Yeah, I'm disappointed. I was hoping for some bad guy or some TMMLK yeah, or you know, some, some entertainment was, on the show. Everybody was shy tonight. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's just one of those days everyone just Kind of wanted to sit in the background and listen. Maybe it's a Wednesday so, thing. So you guys, you better do it before this sh- this song is over in two minutes. Otherwise, this is shutting down. Hey Todd, so I was at a local subway uh, the Uh-oh. other day, and um, you'll never guess what the woman in front of me in line was able to do. Get tomatoes. She, uh, and- she got. Uh, she was able to get uh, some vegetables on the side. I'm, with so, je- I'm so jealous. I'm so <laughs> jealous. I've, I, hold on. I'm gonna stop the music here. I, I've I've done it before every single time except for that one stupid subway on oh, okay. uh, on Desert Inn, like Desert Inn, and I think Decatur or something in uh, in Las Vegas. Other than that, all the other ones gave me the tomato on the side. It makes sense. If you can get it in the sandwich, why not put it on the side? It, uh, well, what, yeah. And, you know, I, I've had great experiences with, you know, like 90% of the subways I've been in. But actually, we did get uh, kicked out of a subway um, a couple weeks ago from some stupid woman who worked there who is really, like, arrogant and wanted to – you could tell she wanted to pick a fight with us. We actually bought a gift card there, and she told us to go F ourselves – and that we can't, we can go take it and use it at some other establishment, but they're not going to honor it. There. Why? Why was she so angry? Well, because we had been in there, okay, a week before. My dad and I were in there on break from work and got a couple sandwiches. And they're running a promotion, which I'm sure you would appreciate, where you buy a $25 gift card and you get a free six inch sub. 
So we did that. We bought $25 gift card. My dad got the free six inch sub and I got a foot long and we we're going to take it off the gift card. And they, you know, they, they're having all these problems programming it. It's taking forever, like an unreasonable amount of time. So, so, so they were, they were idiots and then they got mad that, uh, they, they just got tired of dealing with you. Okay. Well, so they gave us a gift card that had a $10, it said $10 on the outside. And so we questioned it and the guy said, no, that doesn't matter. You can program it for whatever amount. And he's on program it for 25. So oh, that's see. what he said he did. We came in there the next time we go to use the card and there's no balance. Yeah. They, they probably, uh, they probably kept it for themselves. Uh, so Drexel's on the phone here. Gentlemen, what's going on? Yes. So, Drexel, hello. Welcome to the show at the very end here. I, you know, you've done this a number of times. You call it the very end. It isn't about to end the show. And I'm like, oh, I just I wish Drexel was here like the beginning. Then we could just talk for hours. What are you, what are you getting? Old to tell us? Back in the day, this would just be the peak of the show. It, it would be. The problem is I, I have external forces that, that uh, caused me to have to leave. The wife or girlfriend? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, I have to, I have to leave. I can't. I can't. The problem is here. I've, I've explained this before. Benjamin stays up very late, uh, like I do. Mm-hmm. Not not as late as me, but he stays up late, and he actually stays up later than his mom. And then his mom gets upset because there's no one to watch him when she wants to go to sleep, and that's that's what causes me to have to end this. If it, once once Ben starts going to sleep early for like kindergarten, then I can probably start doing the show late again because he will have gone to bed, and then I then there's no reason I can't continue this for as hell as long as I want. Living on. At least he's not living on an island full of colored. <laughs> oh boy! All right, so so Drexel, what's going on? So uh, uh, Drexel, are, are you a are you a fellow seven stars again this year, or are you no longer? Um, I I will be until uh, it expires in May. No, it expires. I have not no, uh, done anything at all this year. I no, think it, I have it, like three hundred seventy-six tiers. Oh no, it doesn't expire in May. It expires uh, March thirty-first. You're done. Oh, March thirty. Okay, then I'm already expired. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. so strange. I have not done anything. What about yourself? No, I, I'm a seven stars again. I'm, I've, I've renewed it. I've gone forward. Nice. Are you, are you uh, getting any good offers? or? No, no. My offers are, are not. What have you done for me no, lately? No, they're non-existent. I really get nothing. I literally get nothing. Literally get nothing. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I gave up seven star, and I am in hot pursuit of Noir at MGM. Mm. Um. And I just, it's very, very interesting. I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but I actually have some insight. And I, I won't keep you. I know you got a lot going on. I heard the end of the Alan Kessler and Buffet thing. Um, but uh, Noir is different because literally you have to be voted in by a committee. And the right, committee right. You have, to be invi- you have to be invited. And I thought they invite you based upon your, your average uh, theoretical loss, which I'd never qualify for that. From From what my host told me, uh, once every month, they have actually a, co- a committee meeting, and hosts suggest a ver- various clientele that they think should should qualify for it. And then there's some process. I'm not sure. Uh, I'd imagine upper management's involved, and they vote on the members. But by the and way, not, before it, you can, I'm sorry, not, before yeah. you continue, just uh, for the listeners, Noir is the highest level card at MGM Properties. And go go on. It used to not be this way. Um, and I, I guess someone that we both know had no R, crazy Mike. Yeah. He, yeah. He showed me, he showed me his card. Comps. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess too many people are getting it, grinding it the way that, uh, people are doing it at, at Caesars and a lot of the long time, very loyal, you know, just donators started complaining and then they changed the policy. The old policy was 
one million tier points that you had to earn, and then you'd be Noah automatically. Now what it is is you have to earn at least two million just to be up for consideration and get uh-huh. nominated. So it's already what are we in? We're just in the beginning of April, about one point eight million. Wow. Um, and uh, I'm not playing, you know, minus EV games to obviously do that. It's not worth my time. But uh, the reason why I did it, there's there's two things that made me want to switch properties and or loyalties, whatever you want. The first thing is I realized just from a couple staycations myself, just how much nicer the MGM rooms are. Like just the selection, if I want to go for a couple of days or put family up or friends, I mean, you have – you know, the Aria, the Bellagio, even Mirage in New York, New York kill every other uh, Caesars property except for maybe argumentally Caesars. I mean, just the properties that are maintained nice. I mean, I'm sure you've noticed even Caesars is getting a little dumpier. They, they just don't maintain it. You know what I mean? The properties are just kind of dumpy. And secondly, what I really, really like is they don't have that stupid policy that Caesars does that they will not give you any sort of comps while you're holding RC credits. At yeah. um, MGM, they have a policy. They actually have three things they offer. They have uh, what's called express comps that you earn while you play, and then you can just use that yourself if you don't want to see a host or if you just want like something for 15 bucks or a small meal or something at the gift shop or one of their retail stores. You also get point play, okay? You get holiday play as well, just like at uh, Caesars, but more importantly, if, if you're putting in a lot of coin and playing, you could go and get a, just a paper comp, just you know, like, like old school. Well, actually, it's not even a paper comp. What they end up doing is they just send it by computer to the restaurant you're going to. Um, yeah, but uh, you, 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 like you, Valentine's you, weekend. Huh? Yeah, you, you're saying you can go up and, and to the pit boss or whoever's or the, the slot manager and say, hey, I played a whole lot. Uh, yep, or, uh, absolutely. Give, give me a, a nice meal at, at such and such restaurant, and they just put it through. They don't do yep. what they do at Caesars. They say, okay, use your reward credits. I, I think right now I have somewhere around $1,800 in express comps. On Valentine's Day, uh, I went to Yellowtail, which is like their high-end sushi place at the Bellagio, and got an $800 comp. Uh, no problem. Not any argument, nothing. All it needs to basically do is look at your coin in. And, you know, there's some tricks and maneuvers to kind of manipulate that, uh, you know, pulling your card, doing certain things, and can get into that another time. I mean, I know you know just because of, of, you know, our friendship and also Facebook that I've been experimenting with. I know people are going to laugh, but I've been experimenting with roulette a lot in terms of just getting tier points and um, building up my status that way. And uh, these casinos, for the most part, uh, I kind of got caught at Red Rock and uh, got what's called DNI'd. You know, I should come on next weekend I can, I, when you're not ending this and tell these stories because I know it's interesting. But I got DNI'd, which means do not invite from station casinos. And uh, I'm not 86. I'm still allowed to go in there and eat. I can gamble. Um, I can use the facilities, but I will, will not receive any more comps. Uh, until this is overturned, which it's indefinitely going to be this way, so it'll probably never be overturned. Uh, my card has been deactivated. I'm not allowed to have a player's card. Not allowed to get any sort of comp whatsoever, any offers, any mailers, all of that ceased. Yeah, it's um, funny. It's just from playing a negative EV roulette game, too, which is so stupid. Yes, yes, exactly. 
And besides that, just because of what I was doing there, they actually removed the machines. Yeah, that's so funny. They, Brandon, they Brandon single-handedly caused the roulette machines, not not the roulette ga- regular games, the roulette video machines to be removed from the Red there's Rock. Valleys, there's Valley, there are Valley stand-up roulette machines. Yeah, and they were that's they were removed from the Red Rock beca- because of Brandon. <laughs> yeah, there was a bank of six of them, and they'd been there for years, and now they're out, they're, they're mudded out. So. Now, um, now I want to say but, for, for uh, M, M Life, when I looked at the, ben- I did a comparison of the benefits. As far as the guaranteed benefits of the program, the M Life uh, Noir doesn't look that exciting. It's like, uh, yeah, you get some complimentary limousine service, you get guaranteed room and show reservations. Well, but- okay, well, well, this is the thing. I, I know you like me. The biggest perk for you is the rooms, especially during the World Series. And since I've been playing, it started in November of last year. Um, I've never been turned down. Um, my dad just celebrated his 70th birthday uh, on St. Patrick's Day, and I got the sickest room I've ever had in my life. Um, I got a villa at the Bellagio that was about 6,000 square feet. Um, got it for two nights, uh, pool table, wow. three bedrooms. I mean, just gorgeous, gorgeous. It was the nicest room by far I've ever had. Totally caught. Um During uh, Super Bowl Sunday, I got a hospitality suite at Aria for two days and had a huge party there for, for the, for the football game. They caught me food. Uh, I mean, it was, it was great. So when you say perks, I mean, I guess they don't have that seven star, uh, mentality or that seven star statement where you're guaranteed, but I've never been turned down and I'm, I'm platinum. I'm the, the highest that you can get without being invited, but I've, I've never been turned down. And I'm sure right now, if I wanted a room at the Bellagio tonight for three, four or five days or New York, New York, or, Aria or Vendara or any of those properties, I haven't even stayed at those, um, it wouldn't be an issue. So I kind of find that to be a push. I mean, you know, even though it, it's not said you're guaranteed to get a room, they've never turned me down. So I don't think, you know, and I also, very, very smart, I, I thought about this, kind of like Caesars, MGM doesn't really market very, very hard to uh, locals. Um, so what I did back at the end of last year in, in 2014, and this is also a key to anyone that lives in Vegas that does play any strip properties, the Venetian, the Wynn, um, for the most part, they can care less about locals, people that live in Nevada or even nearby. Um, I gave my aunt's address, who lives in Florida, and sent her like 15 uh, envelopes with you know prepaid stamps on it. And about once a week or so, she'll start mailing me my office. And when I hit jackpots or just anything, you know, they, they think I live in South Florida and I get tons of offers, tons of free play, tons of food comps, shows, um, things of that nature. Uh, I am going to try. Probably not going to work. I'm going to wait and see. I do want to see the Pacquiao fight really bad. I've been to one boxing match in my life, and it was uh, Bernard Hopkins and Roy Jones Jr. And it was like when it didn't even matter. They were both like in their late 30s. Fuck, uh, Hopkins was like in his early 40s. So I'd love to see that fight, uh, but I mean, I'm not dishing out like a normal, like decent seats, not amazing, but just kind of okay seats are going for like five to seven thousand right now on StubHub and other sites. So no way I'm going to spend that kind of money. Uh, but uh, am I still oh, am I still there? Yeah, you're still there. Go go on. I'm just listening. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, in so anyway, so besides that, I don't know. You know, one day we should have a debate about this and just talk about the pros and cons, because now that I've gotten to understand their system there, I don't think it's really much any different. It may even be better 
than uh, Seven Star. I mean, I'm getting more perks. Um, I think the rooms are much, much nicer. Uh, you know, they're feeding me really, really well. And, uh, you know, just they don't have – and just – I don't know. I don't like Caesars. You know, even if I did want to play Blackjack, which I don't, they're real suck. Yeah, they do. I, mean, I know you've been over all this, you know, before. Um, I think they have the worst rules for table games in, in the city and just the way they sweat sometimes and the whole whatever you've done for me attitude. I, I just don't see that at, at uh, MGM. So, uh, anyhow, that's what I've been doing. And when I get to about $2.5 million, which I'll probably have in about a month and a half or two months, I'm going to ask my host to nominate me. And uh, what I basically do, I mean, I'll just give a little secret because people are going to be like, well, how can you show a loss? How are you doing this? Because I'm not doing this to lose money. One of the keys um, in playing any kind of game like that, like any kind of slot game, or even if it's not slots, it's really roulette, is I play a progressive system, and what I'll do is when I get to a certain amount, I'll pull my card to basically show a loss and then insert my card back after I've recouped the money. And I'll go into this more. It's a really a math-based system. You can only do this on certain machines that basically, believe it or not, and I'm not kidding you, are plus EV and roulette. And there will only be stand-up uh, roulette machines. There's only a certain number of them. A lot of them aren't. A lot of them are double zero, um, which kills you, which like adds another like 3% to the house edge. Um, so you can't play those. But there's some single zero standalone machines that you can bet a lot of money and there's a way to uh, beat the, just these certain machines. And by pulling your card at certain junctures, um, it, it, you know, you can show a very, very heavy loss and they have no idea. Um, it's kind of similar to what I was doing for a while um, at Caesars. Like the thing, Red Rock wouldn't let you do that, but when you're, when you're playing the bot there, the, the ultimate Texas holding machine, if you pull your card uh, during certain pots that you're guaranteed to win, like it's a six, seven hundred dollar pot, it's, it would not rate it, uh, you know, for for your host to see or anyone that looked at your play that you won. Although you're you know you're winning six, seven hundred dollars pot, but it's not showing that. So you kind of keep your card in for hands where you'd lose, huge hands where you knew you had a real strong hand that you had the nuts or second nuts or just you know even for most cases you know two pair. You know you pull your card if the pot was was bloated. And you know, that's that's an easy way to to trick the system. I mean, there are a lot of ways. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's what I've been doing. Uh, I guess I can say this: PL PLOL was in town. Uh, I did not get to meet him, unfortunately. Kind of feel bad about it. He's only here for three days. Yeah, I was going to miss uh, him. I, I, I was him. I was only going to miss him by a few days myself. Hmm. When are you coming down here? Very soon. Very okay, soon. Okay. Nice. Well, text me and let me know what's going on. But uh, I talked to him. He had a great time. It was his first time in Vegas. Um, of course, you know, he did the standard, uh, can I get a box for hand, some cheese, and some chew? And, you know, that's everyone that comes to Vegas now asks me that. Uh, shout out to Raw Wolfer. But um didn't get to meet him, but he was in town for like three or four days. He just left today, and he seemed like he had a really, really great time. Uh, it's funny. He'd never been here, and he played at Bellagio one session, and just like you and I have discussed and a lot of other poker pros that used to play there, he felt the Bellagio was very pretentious, very uh, stiff, and just he, he didn't like the vibe there at all. And he never played there again. I think he played the majority of his time at the win. And I know he did pretty good. He said he booked a pretty decent win over his trip. Um, 
But uh, I don't know. Other than that, uh, that's really it. You know, I'm kind of aggravated about the station casino thing because I was really good for a while. And I did very, very good. And, and now I just have to kind of do what I can do at, at uh, MGM, but it's not as good as that station. Like station had a machine, one specific, one specific machine that uh, there was just a huge flaw in it. And again, I'll, I'll, if you remind me whenever you're on a radio next week, I'll call in and I'll talk more about it. Um, but uh, so that's gone now. And like I said, they denied me. You know, it's even even more silly. They denied my fucking dad. Wow. Just, just because he was associated with me. It's kind of like a two plus two associate of fucking druff thing. <laughs> um, yeah, my dad, my fucking seven-year-old dad got DNI from Station Casinos because he's my dad. So, but just to kind of talk about what you were saying before, absolutely right. Casinos aren't your friend. It's all just a little. Even your host, your host is never your friend. And I, I've learned that. Like when I first moved here, I was so naive, and you know, the host would call me, "Hey, how are you? When are you coming in?" Blah blah blah. And it's all bullshit. I mean, they don't care about you. They don't like you. They want you to lose. That's how they make their money. And uh, I, like you said, I don't think there's anything a casino does that, you know, isn't about getting every last penny out of you. I mean, that's why there are no clocks in the casinos. That's why they feed you drinks 24 hours, uh, whether it's food comps. I mean, it's amazing how many people on a, on a Friday in Las Vegas you go to a local casino because most strip casinos don't do this just because they cater to, you know, tourists. But station casinos, boy, boy gaming casinos, on a Friday, if you walk in there right around 4, 5, 6 o'clock, you're going to see a line out the door, even the palms, uh, in front of the cashier. And the reason why is because everyone's cashing their paycheck. Yeah, everyone's cashing their paycheck. And, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, construction workers and just, you know, you know, you'll see teachers there. You'll see everything from coaches. I mean, I'm not saying you'll see doctors, but you'll see a lot of just – different people there that could very well just deposit in their bank. But the reason why is they'll give them the cash right then and there, and they give them some sort of little gift. Like they get to spin a wheel to, you know, have a chance to win a million dollars. You know, you usually just get like a free drink ticket or free play. But, you know, a lot of the time, right, you can say most of the time, uh, that money doesn't, a lot of that money doesn't leave the casino. And, uh, you know, it, it's, but it's amazing. I mean, you'll walk in there on a Friday and you'll say, what is all this? What's going on? Why are there so many people here? And there's 30, 40 people standing in a single line and, you know, it's because they're cashing their paycheck. Yeah, it is. They, they've studied so, all these things. And, uh, so, okay, well, I, I hate to tell you, but I have to, uh, finish. Yeah, get out of here, I have to finish. So, uh, feel free to call in next week and, uh, we'll actually be on Thursday next week. And, uh, this will be eight days from now and we will. Oh, hey. Real fast, this this is a shout out. I am going uh, with Jeannie to my first ever card player cruise. Oh. Not, I don't even know why they're calling it that. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go, go on, go on. Yeah, it's it's a card it's a card player cruise, but at on land. So I'm <laughs> going to be going to the lovely island of Saint Martin uh, at the end of this month for ten days. Now, at least you won't have to be on the Jeannie. Otherwise, you have to be on the boat with uh, Linda Johnson walking around the whole time and. Uh... You know, yeah. showing off that she's a queen of card player cruises, so maybe it's better off. Yeah. It'd be kind of awkward bumping into Chantel at the buffet line at one in the morning, too. So. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> 
All right. So, uh, yeah, Brandon, I'll definitely be in touch with you soon. And uh, be, be happy to have you on oh. next week if you'd like to come on and do a segment thank further you. about this. And uh, thank you for calling in at the end of the show. Grant, uh, even though nobody knows who you are and even though you stole Brandon's job, thank you for coming on this week uh, for this show. Enjoy hey, Grant, you got, a good, you got a good radio voice, kiddo. Really, hey, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad Sounds you good. called in. It's good to hear from you. The show, the show misses Absolutely. you. All right. So, uh, appreciate it. As I said, we'll be back here in eight days on April 16th, one day after the anniversary of Black Friday and Tax Day, which Tax Day is actually the reason I'm delaying it one day, so I have time to do my taxes at the last minute. I'm not even kidding. We will talk to you later here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, where anything can happen. Anyone can call in, and I will always tell you exactly what I think, even if it pisses people off, and you guys know that. Good night, and shalom. shalom.